I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. ready yeah no yeah, no good. okay <laughs> do you need a couple minutes to, to toss that nut or what <laughs> it's all the psychic sex connections got them all let's not them. ruin this yet keep keep your thoughts about the movie to yourself <laughs> let them jerk off in peace for christ's sake Ew. so we're off to a classy start already <laughs> family tradition it's traditions and it is 2017 here folks welcome back to what is the fifth year of me doing this fine little podcast we like to call astro radio z and as is a yearly tradition here on astro radio z every single year the group picks out a franchise, a long-running franchise of films, be it horror, cult, exploitation, sleaze, or whatever, pseudo, quote-unquote, comedies. (laughs) You can can figure that one out for yourself, long-time listeners. Um, (laughs) Whatever, John. Another one. What's that, Scott? There was was almost another one. Uh, We'll we'll get to that story in just a second here. (laughs) But but we always pick a new franchise of uh, films to go through for your listening displeasure. Well, mostly our viewing displeasure and your listening pleasure. But uh, this year we decided on the series that was almost just as long as the Witchcraft series, which was the second franchise we went through. The first one was Nightmare on Elm Street. Second one was Witchcraft. Third one was Vice Academy. And last year we did the Howling movies. This year, we decided to do, as you can plainly read on your uh, episode title, the Puppet Master series. So we're looking forward to going through what potentially should be 13 movies, I believe. Right. Am I wrong on this, guys? Is it 12 or 13 movies? Uh, yes. 
<laughs> Nothing but pure professionalism here it's on hard. Astro Radio Z. Research to the T. It's hard to say because I know that they have the officially numbered ones and then they have uh, the Demonic Toys one, which was not an official entry. And then there was the Legacy one. I don't know if they count that one or not. It's, I, I don't know. It's all fucking. Did they take down Dollman too? Nope, that oh, no, is demonic you're toys. thinking of Dollman right. versus demonic toys. That's right, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I think the uh I think it counts the legacy, but it does not count the demonic toys crossover. Okay, right. well we are definitely going to be counting the demonic toys crossover in this series of episodes. So we will be covering that one. But I say this because as of this year, which or this very moment, which is January of 2017. We are supposed to be getting the final installment of the Access series of um, films in the Puppet Master series. So Access Termination should be coming out. So we're crossing our fingers that by the time we reach that episode, Access Termination will have come out and we can give you uh, all three Access films in one episode. But if we don't, we'll do an appendage because as we've been saying for three years now, we're supposed to be getting three more witchcraft movies. <laughs> and unfortunately, I just found out tonight that supposedly there was talks about a seventh Vice Academy movie. Scott Davis, would you like to talk about this fucking ridiculous, unneeded and potentially harmful cinematic atrocity that may be put onto the world? Don't hold back. Um, the you know I again as a preface I was like the only one who really liked these movies. <laughs> um, uh, Rick, I'm sorry, um, but you can't really say anything on Facebook without it getting picked up by somebody. And uh, Rick Sloan uh, earlier um, in the week, uh, the week that we we're recording this, uh, put up this behind the scenes picture from Vice County One. looked really cool. Featured the villain, Good Queen Bee, and. Um, Somebody mentioned that they should do a part seven, you know, with the, uh, you know, the kids of the original people in the movie or something. And he says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. There was a script written, though, a long time ago for a Vice Academy seven, which was news to me. Uh, apparently, the plot of this one was that uh, the commissioner, played by Jay uh, Richardson and Miss Devonshire, would be married because uh, well, the, they got married back in part four and they yeah, that movie where the whole entire fucking movie was them getting married. Yeah, it was the wedding episode of the Vice Academy series. Anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, they uh, win the lottery and the commissioner's ex-wife comes in and tries to sabotage their marriage. And that was going to be uh, what I know of the plot of Vice Academy 7. Uh, Rick Sloan uh, in again, this was just like a Facebook thread and everything. But he said that, you know. Too much time has passed. The, this type of movie, he says, has not come back into style yet, so there's not a demand for it. <laughs> oh, well, no, I'm talking, he's talking about, and he's talking about the times when he could, like, run this stuff where these all these <laughs> movies ran on, like, USA Up All Night and everything <laughs> like that, and there was, like, a guaranteed audience for it on those shows. He says it has that, they, there's not a show like that now. It hasn't come back in style. And he says after this much, it's t- too much time has passed. So he's kind of let it go. But at one point, there was a script for a Vice Academy 7. And who knows? You know, maybe by the time all these episodes get done, maybe 
uh, Clive Turner will come out and decide that he wants to do like four or five more Howling movies. You never know. So that might happen. Well, that is a that is a better trade off than uh, oh, seeing on. Vice Academy <laughs> Seven. Oh come on! What you would take another New Moon Rising over Vice Academy Seven? I yes. want to find out the further um, adventures of Pappy at, oh in, in Pioneer Town. <laughs> you know my answer to that, Scott. We will disagree to disagree on that one. <laughs> I would take howling another howling seven and a lobster vasectomy over my security. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get the hate. Oh, but okay. <laughs> oh, that's going to be the joke of the night, folks. Is not getting other people's jokes and, <laughs> and stating it aloud. <laughs> so no, I just uh, don't get the hate for the Vice Academy series. Uh, that, but that's but that was two years ago. Well, that's because you like things that aren't funny. It's okay. Create <laughs> <laughs> the new metaphor: a lobster vasectomy. That is, I'm writing that down. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to. I'm trying to figure out the logistics. I've got a new album title. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> coming coming up in 2017 from Cannibal Corpse: Lobster Vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez so there you go folks we have updated you on these franchises that we've been doing you know we we keep telling you this these films we've heard they're supposed to be coming out whether or not they're actually going to come out who knows i went to imdb.com and it said the next three witchcraft films are supposed to come out the first part of this year actually it says january 7 uh 2017 <sighs> So we'll see if we'll see if that actually happens. But let's go ahead and let's introduce the rest of the people beyond myself, Mr. Derek Carey and Scott Davis. We have next to me. This will be her first set of franchise episodes she's ever been on. Amanda, how are you doing? I am already regretting it. Oh, you <laughs> let's let's give a little backstory. Uh, Amanda, <laughs> this, this is your first time watching any of these Puppet Master movies, correct? Um, I feel like I saw bits and pieces, but not uh, certainly in the what we're doing now. And uh, you mean actually watching? Yeah, the actually movies. watching them. I. Feel like the imagery is familiar to me for some reason. I have a brother who's I have a twin sister and a brother who's seven years older than us. And so when by the time we were old enough to start watching scary movies and stuff like that, because my parents were really strict about um horror movies. I was a weird kid, so I was really into like the paranormal and um um, cryptozoology and stuff like that and so they did not allow me to have access to like horror movies <laughs> they were very strict about like our ratings you had to be we had to be 18 to watch our ratings if we were 15 we were not watching a, 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 a what was it nc 17 and all these other ratings where you had to be certain ages so we never watched any of those but um yeah so this is the first time i watched them and i am uh, in my mind, confused them with a movie that scared the shit out of me, which now I realize was probably like a roundies version of um, like a knockoff version of these movies called Dolls. 
Uh, Does anybody remember? Oh yes, that one? very much so. Yes. It, was one anyway. it was the inspiration for the Puppet Master series. Oh, it was the inspiration Absolutely. for the Puppet Masters. Okay, yes. uh, that movie scared the shit out of me, and so I, conf- I think in my mind I confused them as kind of being one and the same or something. So then, as soon as we started watching this, I was like, oh wait, no, I've not seen this. I don't understand what the fuck I'm watching. <laughs> Well, At least with the first one. So, so I, I have a feeling that you are going to be the outsider view on this series of episodes because I I believe uh, it may be wrong. The rest of us have have grown up and grown with these. I mean, seeing how they started in the uh, late '80s through the '90s and through today, um, they very much were a part of our video store viewing. I mean, I I rented all of the VHSs. As they came out, I mean, I was a huge Full Moon fan, so I I know these movies. I've watched them throughout the years. But uh, Amanda, you will be uh, yeah. the fresh perspective, yeah. the fresh eyes looking yeah. at them now in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, this should be interesting. Next to her is, of course, we have dug him out of the grave. He actually sounds like he just came out of the grave. Mr. Glenn Bittner is back with us to marathon some more shitty movies. Mr. Glenn, how are you feeling? Oh, feeling great there, Derek. Absolutely great. Yeah, it's like I said, maybe we'll call him Zom. Ah, that 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 doesn't work. What do we? What's the zombie version of Glenn? Glenby, uh, a Glenby, Glenn of the Dead. Glenn of the Dead. I yeah. like this. Yeah, Dawn go. of the Glen. <laughs> How about just a Zin? well whatever it is glenn is back and next to him you heard him before we already talked he he loves them vice academy movies for some unknown reason mr scott davis hello hello (laughs) and mr baltimore himself has decided to grace us for another year of wonderful films mr seth ballin of celluloidterror.com is here hello hey guys had so much fun with the howling that i just had to come back and of course the man the myth the legend my right hand man he's been here for now going on five years mr mark the movie man he's here to watch some more movies hello mark so uh, my favorites of 2015 so far, um, I know I've said a few already, but I just got a few more on the list that are my favorite. I Oh, hi, Derek. How are you? And I am looking um, for the mute button. Right <laughs> I may be calling up Batmark to come back. But no, I can't call up Batmark because we, we uncovered that mystery we, last year. It's actually re- Mark. Revealed. You, you pulled back the veil. and The veil has so been pulled I, I'm back. here to talk about a man a horse and a rape so there we go there you go and of course miss angelique is back for her second fran- franchise series of episodes hello hi and last but not least yes we have brought on everyone that has ever been on astral radio z it feels like to be on this set of episodes except for andrews surprisingly enough andrew's not on this one but daniel from throne of anguish and the night keep is on this series of episodes and from the sound of it couldn't be happier hey dan how you doing oh okay i was going to say you're not daniel i've seen the guy you know <laughs> i guess when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel for some guests i mean you need someone to come in here i am so <laughs> no seriously i couldn't be happier this is awesome i love puppet masters <laughs> <laughs> you sound giddy daniel yeah it was great it was it's funny hearing amanda describe watching these movies and 
I was actually, my upbringing was a lot of the same way. You know, these are bad movies and stuff. Oh, yeah. However, I was a bad kid. So I snuck out every opportunity I got and grew up watching these movies, you know, whether I'd been able to memorize them or not, but I still know them as funny. Amanda saying, you know, that you saw, you feel like you've seen them before because you saw dolls. Well, <laughs> technically you have seen them before because this, every full moon piece is pretty much just, uh, what is it? Repurposed footage. Half the damn series is just archival footage anyway. <laughs> right. That is definitely the, the Charles Band way, and we will definitely talk about that once we get into the series. But yeah. before we get into the series, I'd like to, and before we start talking about the movies, I'd like to make this first section of the episode just to, to introduce, because sometimes some listeners come on to my, or get into my podcast that aren't as familiar with cult films as we are. And maybe we take it for granted sometimes that uh, everyone should know everything that we know coming into this. And I'm sure Amanda doesn't know a lot of this stuff. So let's talk about full moon movies first, because I think it's really essential to understand why these movies are the way they are and why there are so many of them. You need to understand what who Charles Band is and what full moon pictures and full moon movies are are scott i know you're you've been a huge proponent and you've always talked oh very God. highly of full moon movies do you want to give a little history on who's charles band and what is full moon movies full oh moon my pictures? god oh wow uh <laughs> you know my history with charles band just goes back to when i was barely enough to walk this guy um he's the son of uh, director albert band uh, who did a, num a number of notable films and stuff like that. For instance, if anybody has ever seen the movie I Bury the Living, that's a really good one that he did, and he did a bunch of others. And um, he started uh, producing and directing in the 70s. Uh, the first film I'd ever seen that he had done, it was about, I think it was like his second or third film, was Laser Blast, uh, which a lot of people might have grown up with, or if, you, if not, you may have seen the MST3K episode and everything like that. Uh, I didn't know the name then, but I quickly noted the name when I went to go see the movie Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. I said, OK, this is my new favorite movie. I need to remember that name, Charles Band. And turned out I see the name a lot because not only had before that he'd done films like Parasite, he went on to do a, a have a company called Empire Pictures. And this company was did very well for a number of years during the 80s. Uh, they uh, started out uh, by releasing one of Derek's favorite movies, Ghoulies. Hell yeah. And, uh, and they just continued and went on and on and on and on. They kind of spread themselves a little too thin by the end. You know, they were spending a little bit more than they could make. And uh, it kind of fell apart, unfortunately, but not before they did a lot of notable films, including the two films that would inspire the Puppet Master series, uh, Dungeon Master, which, of course, they got the title from. And uh, as Amanda had mentioned, uh, the film Dolls. Um, and this, so this company fell apart. And so Charlie Van's looking for something new to do. He, he starts this new company, Full Moon, and realizes he can make money just releasing these straight to video, which at that point meant VHS. 
And at that point, the very the uh, it was one of the only video companies around, basically, except for like these little tiny shot on video, like you know, backroom operations. He got a deal through Paramount. They released a bunch of movies, and then they started out with record labels and toys and comics and collectibles, and they released a ton of movies. Once again, spread themselves a little too thin. Full Moon is still around, even if they aren't quite what they were, and they keep on marketing stuff. And the very first one of these Full Moon movies was Puppet Master. That's the that's the quickest way I know how to sum up this person who has uh, basically been part of every facet of my life <laughs> at this point. Charles Mann uh, was the one responsible. He brought us Tourist Trap. And mm-hmm. I think, wasn't it his deal with Empire is the reason we got Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Good, good point. Thank you. I forgot about that. He uh, he owned Media Home Video mm-hmm. uh, way back in the day. Uh, he didn't release it in the theaters, but on VHS, he had Media Home Video way, way, way back. It was called Media Home Video, which we named after his mother. And uh, and they released started releasing a bunch of films, including Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween on VHS, as well as a number of other things. Uh he also did Wizard home video. If anybody remembers Wizard, so titles like "I Spit on Your Grave" we got on video because of Charlie Van. It's it's almost too much to mention. I mean, I mean, I've been talking about Charlie Van for years, so much so that when they did a book of, about Empire Pictures a few years ago, which is a great book, I'm page I buy it right away as soon as it becomes available to American audiences. I'm paging through it and I see one of my own quotes pop up from one of the reviews in the in the piece. They I didn't even know they were going to use it. So I mean I've been looking at Charlie Band and I've been, you know, talking about him forever. I mean and as and as Daniel brings up, he's he's had his hand in so many things that it's easy to even forget things like that that that's a yeah that's a major part of what he did was uh Mita home video and wizard home video absolutely i mean i'm the same i'll go ahead and admit i worship charles band he's the he's one of the reasons i do what i do anyway so i just i can't help but get excited you know i don't i hate being like that but it just it is what it, i think the man's a genius and oh, hell yeah one half genius and one half self-destructive I guess it's just I can relate completely as so many grand ideas, and visions, and then you get so excited and everything just works. And then it just falls apart like a fart in the underwear or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liken I liken Charles Band to kind of the direct to video Roger Corman in a lot of ways. He he was even though he was a filmmaker in his own right out of, I think, practicality more than anything else. He was far more concerned with the business aspect and combining that with with making, you know, these cheapo movies. And he he was very forward thinking in a lot of ways um, with full moon movies. I mean, obviously, as Scott said, he had a history in distribution and picking up movies and with full moon and puppet master was certainly the flagship uh, series in film that started this off the ground and got him running. He had a number of things that he did that were the precursor of things that we kind of take for granted now today. Um, The first thing would be each of the VHSs that he released for each of the movies. Um, These weren't movies. He never picked up other people's movies for Full Moon. They were always in-house productions. They made their own films. The thing that he started... I mean, there were other behind-the-scenes documentaries and things of that nature, but he started to... 
series of videos uh, that would come after the movies called Video Zone. And these video zones would be like 25 to 30 minute uh, little vignettes that would be kind of like you would get uh, behind the scenes of the movie you just watched and interviews with other full moon uh, celebrities, directors, actors, things of this nature. Then you would get trailers for some of the other full moon movies. And then you would get a hard shill at the end where they would show you all of the dolls and they would show you the shirts and the merchandises and then where to call to get in the fan club and to buy all this stuff. I mean, this was pre internet stuff. So this was really the only way other than if you got your stuff in the back of a, like a Fangoria or a cinema fantastique or whatever. Um, This was the only way you were really getting your merchandise out there. So he had this video zone series that he did. And then, which Obviously, we come to know on DVD and Blu-ray. I mean, this is really the precursor to all that stuff. Then he also kind of made the, the notion of the unified universe of a certain studio where all of the films kind of fit into each other and the, and the characters cross over and they bleed into each other and they continue on almost like a serial comic book would. He would go on to say that a lot of his movies were like continuing comic book series. And uh, that's what I always loved about full moon movies was the, the not only the feeling that you were getting kind of these, I don't want to say sleazy uh, flicks, but you were you were kind of getting movies that weren't necessarily uh, the norm. You were getting stuff like subspecies about uh, vampires with super long rubbery fingers, and and then robot jocks about big huge robots that had an that had arena style fights to the death, and all this other crazy stuff is more exploitation kind of comic book pulpy type stuff. And I, it always appealed to me growing up in the uh, the covers to all these movies were beautiful paintings for each of these things. And um, they didn't look cheap. He wanted to make with full moon movies, uh, low budget films that had a big budget feel. Mark, what did did you grow up watching these flicks? I did. Uh, I I watched them not as regularly as everyone here, but um, if it was on, uh, you know, on cable, I run across it, I'd watch it or I'd also pick, you know, from the video shelf if I was looking for something to to watch. And you're right. One thing Full Moon did do, especially during that time, was build a real identity for itself. So when you picked up a Full Moon movie, you knew what you were going to get. I personally, I love Robot Jocks. I have it on Blu-ray upstairs. I, lo- I love that freaking movie. It's so cheesy and everything, yeah. but it's so much fun. And that that's what, that's what I loved about the Full Moon Pictures is that no matter which one you grabbed off the shelf when you watched it, yeah, they were lower budget direct-to-video stuff, but they were always fun. You know, no matter which one I picked up, I enjoyed, you know, you might have had a little TNA, you got some jokes in there, you had some blood in there and, and it, but the films never, I, I've said this on a couple of my reviews to where uh, it doesn't take itself too serious, but it's serious 
fun. It's one of those, they want to make a real film, but at the same time, they know what they're making and they work into that so well that a lot of other companies that have tried to do it and even tried since have, have not been able to accomplish. I think that identity that full moon really made for itself back then. Yep. Uh, Angelique, what's your experience with full moon movies and what's, what would you consider to be your favorite of the full moon catalog? Um, dolls. Uh, that's, that's pretty much that the answer to both questions, your experience with it and your favorite. <laughs> um, I don't have much experience with the Fullman catalog. Um, I've seen dolls several times. That was one of the ones that mom would actually let me, uh, watch. Uh, cause I had a thing about scary, creepy dolls and, um, they would give me nightmares. So, uh, I didn't really watch, you know, the puppet masters as they came out, I saw bits and pieces of the first one, uh, but two and three were, were definitely first time views. Um, Holy cow. So this is going to also be a wow. first time thing for you as well. Yes. Whoa. Wow. My mind just blew. <laughs> I just blew my street cred. Y'all are going to kick me out. Oh my gosh. This has just got a hell of a lot more exciting. Seth, what was your experience and your favorite full moon movie? Uh, you know, similar to everyone, renting tapes and DVDs at the store of uh, the various films. I'd say my favorite is Castle Freak, easily. Yeah. I think uh, that was really that sweet spot where the boom period for Full Moon, uh, Charles Band had his castle that he bought in Italy and was doing productions out of that. And uh, the production value feels a little bit better. You got Stuart Gordon on that one with Jeffrey Combs. So uh, I think the productions on that was a little bit higher, but still very much Full Moon. But uh, Full Moon as a whole, pretty cool. It's uh, almost like a family studio of actors and directors. Charles Band pulls from his bag of people to work on different movies. So it's always, uh, you, you know what you're getting into when you get into it. You know, you see a few of them, you start to, they, they all have that same uh, Full Moon feel and flow. Absolutely. And Glenn, before we round this out and start getting into the Puppet Masters, what was your experience with Full Moon and what's your favorite? Oh, my God. My favorite Full Moon. Um, Other than my butt, obviously. (laughs) It's more of a quarter moon, but uh, (laughs) this is stuff I discovered uh, Thanks to these three movies for three nights for five bucks at my local video store. I watched so much of this stuff growing up and a lot of it. I watched multiple, 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 multiple times. My favorite, though, in, in the full moon line is it's always transfers. Well, that's definitely I know I have talked outside of the the podcast itself about potentially doing a series on yeah. transfers. I know the last couple of years I've put that up for the vote and nobody's voted for it. For hey, I would vote transfer transfers. I would vote. Well, I would vote for it. The first three movies are at least awesome. Yeah. Transfers is a good series. I did a whole episode of my damn moviocrity about it. Yeah, it's it's solid stuff. Tim Thomerson. He was a he was a staple of Full Moon Pictures. He did those Trancers movies. He also did Dollman. Love him. Well, let's go ahead and move forward and get into the franchise episode proper, folks, with Puppet Master from 1989. In a house. 
House of Mysteries. This hotel seems to have quite a history, Mrs. Gallagher. Who are you people? A research team with special powers. <gasps> My God. She's experiencing the past. Because we are all joined by our thoughts. <gasps> Has uncovered an ancient secret. I have something I want to show you. <laughs> Metaphysically speaking, I killed myself. <gasps> But they are playing with an evil force. What would you do with the power? You can't save her, Alex. They have given life to a deadly power. We're all in danger. And now a box of little toys. I think someone's in the room, Frank. Has become a gang of little terrors. Pinhead, Blade, Ms. Leach, Jester, and Tunneler. Irene Miracle, Paul Lamatt, Barbara Crampton, and William Hickey as the Puppet Master. Now, the first film in this series, Puppet Master, is about a group of psychics that find themselves plotted against by a former colleague who committed suicide after discovering animated murderous puppets. This is a synopsis. <laughs> as we always say off of imdb.com. This movie directed by David Schmoller, who most of the, uh, my listeners will know as the director of Tourist Trap, who subsequently, after directing a number of films and being involved with full moon movies, uh, would come out to say that he got very little credit for the creation of this series from Charles Band and Full Moon. And, uh, and Charles Band really kind of diminishes his involvement in this series and kind of takes credit for a lot of the success of this. But this first movie um, has David Schmoller all over it. It's a very um, somber kind of modern Gothic tale about um, this group of psychics who decide to go to this inn called the Bodega Bay Inn because they all get this group psychic message from a colleague saying that they have that they need to get to this Bodega Bay Inn right away. And all of them presuppose that they hit that he has uh, figured out the secrets of an old puppet master whose name is Andre Toulon, who in the first act of this film is shown uh, trying to escape from some Nazis who are after him. And he offs himself so the Nazis can't get him. And he hides his puppets in the Bodega Bay Inn. And uh, so this film, for me, is very, very in line with a much more serious kind of almost hammerish tone than a lot of the movies that Full Moon would become known for. Um, Full Moon ha always had a little bit of a gothic flair to them. But Charles Band likes the girls. So they would, they would get sleazier as they went along and more ridiculous as they went along. But uh, this movie in particular is pretty understated. Um, Scott, 
what do you think of the first Puppet Master? You know, it's like you said, it, it is it's such a strange beginning to this series because the series would take on this life of, it own, of its own and become kind of like this like hero comic book type thing. And this is a very serious, very mysterious uh, horror film. But, you know. Huh. It, it, it always feels a little, this film always just kind of felt a, felt a little odd. Uh, I love everything about it. I think it was so uh, original what he did. But you can kind of see there's always a little bit of a, well, there's always a lot of a salesman behind Charles' band. <laughs> and you can see almost like what he was thinking when he did this. In the 80s, horror icons became huge. Uh, this new wave of horror icons, whereas before in years past, you of course, you had Dracula and Frankenstein and everything like that. But here we had studio-owned horror icons like Jason and Freddy and Chucky. And he says, well, if they're going to give you one horror icon in a movie, I'm going to give you a whole trunk full. And so he gave you this whole menagerie of puppets, each with their own different kind of functions and personalities. So that you can all actually like see, you know, people watching the movie and arguing which puppet was your favorite, you know. And of course, everybody thought it was Blade. But um, <laughs> but it's just this um, really amazing film where he got uh, David Schmuller. There's a lot of him in this because David Schmuller was always more. Uh, suspense oriented. You can see that in Tourist Trap, The Seduction, Crawl Space. Um, and he got this really talented group of actors. You have Paul Lamatt with his very distracting mullet. Um, <laughs> oh my God, that thing's just like every, every scene. It was like his wow. hair in general look, just looked like a helmet. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Irene Miracle playing way against type, sometimes. It fits, and sometimes it's pure Blanche de Bois. And this, and it's just, and it becomes kind of this mysterious story where, unlike future installments where you kind of know the series, the, what the puppets are and what their function is, this one, it was always kept a mystery, and you never really know until the end. Like, oh, and this is where their loyalties lie, and it's all because of this. And you kind of, it kind of, you kind of, some of the pieces fit together. Um, there's a lot of little tiny other things, but that I have here written, but I'm not going to talk about that at this right now, but it's just a very mysterious, very strange film to do. But you looked at this, you said, you know what, this is either going to be a film that people are going to love right away or people, or it's going to be a film that's going to be forgotten. And then in 10 years, people are going to love it. There was no world in which people weren't going to react to this sooner or later. Right. I think a lot of that mystery comes in is it, it just has a very unconventional kind of setup to it. The film itself, like the first act, which is this flashback scene of uh, Toulon, who's being hunted by these Nazis. Um, there's no explanation given as to what's going on. You're just kind of thrown into the scene and then all of a sudden he kills himself. And then the movie proper starts. Daniel, what did you think of the beginning of this flick? Well, I mean, it's basically the same thing. It's just, it starts out, it's the whole movie, honestly. It, it starts out as serious and, you know, as it progresses, the series of movies, you know, it kind of just gets a big WTF and then you're just like, oh, we're going for a comic book thing. But yeah, this first film had so many elements 
I guess, like you had mentioned, kind of like a Hammer film. It's just it's very gothic. I mean, but you could, it's kind of tough to place. And it's not slamming the movie, you know, but it's got one part is this Pacific Northwestern, you know, rain-soaked, dreary feel to it. And then you've got the Bodega Bay Inn. And then, but at the beginning, you're, I couldn't tell what time period it was supposed to be. But I guess just because of my generation being raised, when you see those guys in a black fedora and a black trench coat walking toward a building, and I think they muttered some German or something. I was like, oh, those must be Nazis. I mean, it was just, <laughs> I didn't really know what to make of it. And then William Hickey shoots, or excuse me, Toulon's character, you know, shoots himself. And then we're thrust into the real movie with Major Mullets and the uh, Dixie Knot Carter, or um, whatever the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, hor- the horny psychics? Yeah, the- <laughs> Not Dixie Knot Carter. I, I mean, we, I guess it'd be Doxy Carter or something, because I mean... <laughs> I'll give her this. At certain points, the accent was cool, but I mean, for the most, it just really, I couldn't tell which threw me off worse the mullet or as soon as she spoke, that well, darling, I'll suppose it's like, good God, I don't sound like that. And I'm from, I don't guess I sound like that. I'll probably, I have better hair, but still, regardless, the whole movie. Is I never knew what to, t- and it, even now, like when I watched it, because I just watched it the other night, you know, and it was the whole time I didn't know how to, because it's serious. These are goddamn puppets. It's, I mean, I get it, but again, just maybe it was the styling of the movie. All, all in all, I liked it, but yeah, just from the beginning of it, you've got movie A. And then movie B starts, and I couldn't tell which movie I really wanted to be a part of at first. That was always my loyalties was with William Hickey because I recognize him from Space Invaders. But then we go, you know, to Bodega Bay, which is a cool location, but the accents and the hairstyles were killing me, man. <laughs> yeah. I think most people will know William Hickey as uh, the old uncle from uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was just as scary there as he was here. I love William Hickey. It's like one of those. I love character actors, and he was one of the ones that I loved. I, I was listening, and apparently, he was only in his early sixties when he did this movie. Jesus Christ! Oh my God! Well, he, he died. At, he died at sixty nine because he had some sort of illness. I never bothered to look up the illness because I'm very unprofessional, but um. He had some illness where he aged prematurely. So you can see like um, he showed like in the mid 60s, he shows up in the telephone book and the producers. He has that great part in the producers, a toast to toast. I love toast. (laughs) Um, And he already looks like he's in his mid 50s there, you know, and he just got, of course, got older and older and older. Uh, and so he became a character actor when he was in Pritzy's Honor and he played the old man to Jack Nichols and he was only 10 years older. But he's just one of those great character actors that you just love. And, you know, uh, if you don't know him from Christmas Vacation, for the kids in the audience, you'll know him from Nightmare Before Christmas. So there. Yes, very distinctive actor. His voice definitely, as soon as you hear it, you recognize who that is. <laughs> very well known. Now, as was stated before, This movie, the centerpiece of this film, even though you wouldn't know it immediately because this movie doesn't play out like the rest of them, 
is this group of puppets that this puppet master has made and controls. They're these uh, autonomous creations that walk around without strings and kill at will. Now, each movie subsequently after this one would introduce one new puppet with each uh, film. The core group of puppets that you would get to know all started out in this one. First one is a puppet named Blade, who is kind of the face. If you would want to say the Jason or the Freddy of the series, he's kind of the face of the puppet uh, master franchise. He is uh, a trench coated fedora wearing a skull faced killer with one hand as a hook and the other is a blade. Uh, the second puppet is a puppet called Pinhead, who's kind of a, a brute with a with huge arms and a chest and chest and this tiny little bald head and one eye that looks like it's been torn out or something. And he only looks through one eye. And oh, I never noticed. That. You never noticed that? Well, you'll notice it in close ups no, if you I look. Will, yeah. Yes. Me neither. Uh, uh, the third uh, puppet is and this is one I want to talk about. Uh, with everybody oh. is leech woman is a, a female puppet who pukes leeches. Now, before we, I move on to the other uh, puppets. I want to ask everybody here. I want to actually, actually go to uh, Seth. Seth, how exactly does leech woman kill people? Are these poisonous leeches? The origins of leech woman are gone a little bit in the third entry. of the Right. But are they poisonous or do they just suck blood? Because I don't know if that's ever really mentioned. I've always been under the assumption that she is the most useless of yeah, all of the I, puppets in these movies because leeches will not kill you. They'll suck some blood, but they're yeah. not going to kill you unless they're poisonous. But in this movie, she's got two or three kills to her. Oh, obviously. She's I, always I, the centerpiece. She's she's the most lethal one, I'd say. This is Egyptian magic. Are they, they like life force sucking leeches? They don't yeah. just suck blood. I want to get to the bottom of this because growing up watching these movies, I was always like, what the fuck? How is she killing anyone? She's grossing them out to death. Yes. <laughs> this was something that Amanda said over and over and over again. You want to talk about what you think I about Leech Woman? I think it is the most revolting thing I've ever seen. The idea of it makes me want to die myself. Die yourself. Oh, Why is that? Just gross. <laughs> all these disgusting noises and throat and it's undulating and oh her whole mouth is full of a leech okay oh. let's describe this to the listeners if you haven't seen puppet master it's this very feminine <laughs> puppet that's white and and arbitrarily when it's about to kill somebody its mouth will extend and this huge slimy black leech will come out of it very slowly While she makes gross disgusting noise <laughs> it's kind of like me eating pizza i just just, in the yeah. jaw. I just shove it in there <laughs> i do not know how you have a fiance angelique if that is the case <laughs> You should see how he eats pizza. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, Paramount hated her. That's why um, we're going to get to that eventually. But that's why what happens in the second movie happens mm. is because Paramount said, hey, we love these movies. Ms. Leach has to go. <laughs> She's gross. <laughs> like Scott said earlier, when when Charles Band wants you to talk about your favorite puppets, I don't think I've ever met anyone that would consider Leech Woman their favorite. 
or even in the top three. I, I hate Leech Woman. I mean, I've never understood it. Like I, yeah. as a, as a kid growing up watching these movies, I was always like, "What the fuck." Yeah, she's yeah. the most pointless of them all. It's not a, they've got to be lethal leeches because she kills more people, you know? Yeah. Well, when we were first watching it, Derek paused the movie. I think we were laying in bed and you asked this. I can't recall. And he paused the movie and he's like, Amanda, are you are, are leeches deadly? Because I'm a registered nurse and I work in the ER and we've seen I, we've seen some weird things in my days. So he asked me, are leeches deadly? And I said, well, I suppose no more so than mosquitoes. I mean, in terms of like either they're them being a vector carrying something to another human being or to another creature. Or I suppose a mosquito could be deadly if there's like six million of them and you're stuck in a room with them. I mean, I don't know. They could, I guess, essentially suck your blood to death. I don't know. Well, I posed this to Twitter while because I live tweeted these movies while I watched them the other day. Oh, I missed and, that. And I had I had one of our listeners uh, pop on and tell me they've got to be poisonous, <laughs> man. That's the only way. Glenn, what are your thoughts on this? I think these people all just suffer from medellophobia, which is a fear of leeches, and they all die from fear. <laughs> They poop themselves and they die of fear. Poop themselves <laughs> to death because of the fear of leeches on their face. <laughs> it's got to be Mark the Movie or their Man. Torsos. Yeah, or their torsos. Mark the Movie Man. Your thoughts? They're poison leeches. If you notice, unlike uh, a lot of leeches, their entire body sucks onto the body versus just like a mouth. Like a lot of leeches, it it's the whole body sticks to them, almost like a. a a bandage almost and it starts pumping and, and I believe they're toxic leeches um, and that's why, why it kills them and also considering what her origin is which we won't go into right now because I have an issue with three but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah no I, I think they're poison leeches I, okay I then we will we will put our feet down and from this point forward we will presuppose because it's never stated in any of the moves we'll presuppose that these are toxic venomous leeches still the shittiest puppet Wow, that's <laughs> you got some heat with this. Correct. <laughs> I don't know. Jester doesn't really do shit. No. Well, Jester. that's the next one I was gonna say is Jester number five, which is which is a, a puppet that looks like a court jester that has a tri-level head that spins around and um kind of the its only purpose really is to well he's a watchman and he also kind of dictates uh the state of mind that the puppets are in if they're happy if they're sad or if they're threatened or they're angry um can just draw a picture or something the, i think the the image of the puppet is really neat i like yeah. i like the face i think it, it it's it's kind of creepy but yeah compared to the rest of them who actually have weapons he is the most pointless one. He does make cute noises. Oh, ah. Yeah, each of them make noises. <laughs> each of them kind of just coo or or giggle. Or, or gag or, on their leeches. Or gag on leeches, which is, which, what is that sound again, Amanda? <laughs> make me fart. Okay. I want to die thinking about it. Okay. Um, I got to tell you, we had the flu over New Year's Eve. I had the flu over New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, and we had a Puppet Master Marathon in our basement. That didn't do anything for the state in my stomach. <laughs> Leech woman. Oh. 
can you can you say kind of this is a, a throwover from Mark's best of worst of 2016 episode on the spoiler cast triggered. She yeah. is triggered. Triggered by the week. So let's move on. Then we have we have Jester, as we just said, which I think we can all agree, probably the most pointless. Who? Oh, Jester. Jester. I don't know. Jester's kind of like the uh, like a professional wrestling manager. Oh, so he's the hype man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he, he's gonna organize everybody and get them going. You know, that's essentially what he was. Is just an emotive piece. Is because because they're damn puppets. It's like they can't really do anything. And this is supposed to be a horror film, so they're all killing each other and you know just running around. <laughs> And then <laughs> that was even more disgusting than the movie itself. Then <laughs> we have Jester. <laughs> like just, I guess they were reshoots or something. It's like we need to have people feel something. What? Are they, what should they feel? Hell, I don't know. What face does he do now? And they just spin it around and be like, "Oh, he can be happy. All right, let's do something happy." And then they, you know, do the next. That's all he was. It's just something to like a cue card like they couldn't write it on a piece of paper and show it's like an applause sign applause applause you know <laughs> that would be awesome if if he his head didn't spin around and change and he just held up cue cards that said <laughs> laugh <laughs> i really am the puppet master <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least at least in this film we have the puppet whose name is tunneler who is um is he a, supposed to be a german Officer, is that kind of what his character is supposed to be? I think so. I I don't know. He kind of looked that way, but anyways, it is a puppet who has this um spiral kind of uh tunneling blade for a head, so he can drill into people or into things with this head. Now, I have to say though, he can drill into people. If they stay completely still and let him do it. <laughs> if you just stay there and scream like an idiot, <laughs> like yeah, uh, that's one yeah. of his victims yeah. in this movie. The leech woman drops leeches on him. They get scared because I know I would if I had a bunch of leeches. Like, like, yeah. like that. And then they give Tunneler time to come up and drill me. Mm-hmm. Well, which is the reason why, for the most part, we see Pinhead and Blade do most of everything. <laughs> in this movie because they actually have weapons and have a purpose for, for fighting where the rest of them are just puppets that their weaponry was an afterthought it's kind, of, kind of like a family thing you know the, you got two kids who actually go out and do something and the rest of them just kind of follow in the wake of you know and they since their family like hey, come on yeah come on is what the hell does leech woman do you shut up that's my sister <laughs> yeah, it's like that it's like the island of misfit toys <laughs> I'm like all right guys we've got nobody wants here. a leech woman in a box <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've got this one near death let leech woman come up and take the credit come on <laughs> choke them up all right we're done <laughs> well let's go down the line and let's say who is everybody's favorite puppet amanda oh well he's not in this movie so well for in, uh, um, in this, this one movie, yeah probably blade okay glenn I like Blade, but I also uh, no uh, Pinhead. Pinhead, Scott. Pinhead. Yeah. Blade, man, I've Blade. I've got him on two T-shirts. Holy shit! 
Oh, he's a super fan. <laughs> Wait a minute. My God, when I saw that, I'm like, I'm when I grow up, I'm going to dress just like that. <laughs> he is the icon of the it series. It still hasn't happened, but I'm still working on the wardrobe, okay? Well, in death, you can definitely be Blade. You I can, will be an awesome dressed ghost. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, who's your favorite? I like Pinhead. Pinhead is a is a fun one, Mark. I have to pick a favorite. Okay, and, and not no, five. I'm, pick one, Mark. I'll pick pick one. Yes, I know. And just to let you know, I've actually seen up through three on these uh, before this podcast, so this will be interesting. I sure um, hope so. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna say the gesture. Very interesting. Now, Mark, what? before I move on to Angelique, why is that? Because the gesture adds, as it's mentioned before, the emotion. And if you actually look at the purpose of him, you without him, you don't get exactly either the humor or kind of the tone of the puppets. Namely, when they start doing some bad things and he spins and he actually has a happy face, you get especially near the end of this film, he helps get a point across of who they're loyalty actually aligns with he also helps emote the emotions of the others and when he gets the angry face you know shit's going to go down with the other puppets he he actually helps add character to the rest of the puppets even though he doesn't do much himself he adds emotion and uh, motivation to the puppets for the audience. So that's why I like him. Maybe I read too much into it for a full moon picture. No, absolutely not. I think that's what we all kind of feel what his purpose was as well. Angelique? My favorite is Pinhead. Oh, interesting. Pinhead's coming out on top right now. And last but not least, Dan. Leroy. Jenkins. No, just uh, Leroy. <laughs> was that, can we get into spoilers? I didn't want to spoil it. My favorite is, nah, I guess if I had to pick... It'd be Blade. He just, he's got that. I mean, Christ's sake, I like death metal and black metal. So Blade is just like, holy shit, that's awesome. I want to do that. You know? Right. Well, in the, in the time of slasher films, he definitely had that appeal. Yeah. I know, like I said, no spoilers, but I'd have, if I had to pick a favorite puppet, it'd be Leroy. And we'll get to that at the end of the first movie. Oh, waka waka. Well, the, the puppets, obviously. I, I, I want to, I just want to mention that I do have my blade bobblehead staring at me as I'm doing this podcast right now. I fucking hope so. <laughs> Are you wearing blade Cheers. underoos, Scott? You know what? You'll have to turn on the camera to find no, out. No. <laughs> I'll leave that up to your imagination, dear Astro Zombies, whether or not Scott is wearing blade underoos. Or if but, I'm uh, wearing any at all. Oh. <laughs> Instant <laughs> flaccid penises all around. <laughs> Um, so, so the puppets themselves, obviously, as we had said, are the centerpieces of these films, and they are done using a variety of techniques, be it a practical kind of like string and, and rod type puppet or um, stop motion animation, uh, which because the, the effects man, David Allen, who is very well known uh, to be an amazing stop motion animation uh, fan, uh, put a lot of work into it. And at times it, it harkens back to a lot of the good old Ray Harryhausen style uh, stop motion animation with some of the things that these puppets do. Um, there's also stunt puppets, like when puppets get thrown down staircases, which kind of satisfies my shitty dummy quoting 
quotient of uh, the Puppet Master series when mm-hmm. Pinhead gets thrown down. Because, but it's not as satisfying because it's not supposed to be a person. So, I mean, it's as close to a shitty dummy as I'll get on this one. There's also uh, radio control puppets and uh, other stuff. So they used uh, for a low budget film. They really went above and beyond the call with trying to animate these the best they could with what they had. So let's go ahead and let's get into the film itself. Um, This film obviously had had a pretty low budget, but I think doesn't look or feel cheap at any time it has some great camera work the score is very iconic which was something by the end of this experience amanda is so sick of hearing that theme she doesn't even know what to do (laughs) it's a great score oh my god scott i had the flu and we were watching these movies back to back. We watched one through five. Well, why'd you watch five of them? You only had to do three. I talked to the guy sitting next to me. He put him on. I was fading in and out of consciousness, and he kept watching them. So that we were in our basement in the theater room watching, and then we come upstairs to go to bed, and I'm like, you know, feeling like shit, haven't showered in 72 hours, just want to crawl into bed and die. And I come out of the bathroom, and he's got the fucking puppet master six on in our bedroom. I looked at him and I said, You gotta be fucking kidding me. And I put. I put earplugs in, a sleep mask on, and I rolled over. <laughs> so Amanda, thumbs up on the score, a hundred percent. It's she- cute. It's just you can't. All day, all day, we listen to it. This is about more than the movies. <laughs> yeah, there's some anger there. Well, but let's be honest. This Amanda is shook her head. This means you need to watch. These. This means you need to watch part six twice, Derek. I didn't watch it. I turned it what off within hell? five minutes. It was kind of it was kind of a gag anyway. Yeah, spoiler alert, but ooh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> In his defense, Richard Band's score, because that's Charlie's brother, did the score. The first time you hear it, it's quaint. It's like, oh, cool. But you have to hear the whole goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. It, movie it's like generally after the first all right i'll give them the second movie and maybe the third you get the score by the fourth and the eighth and the 13th movie (laughs) score they could cut it down to a 10 second sting and start the episode just like they do in tv series you know you like first season you'll play the first score so long blah 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 you get i get it it's great you know the alf theme is awesome jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) well in typical charles band fashion he said he bought and did everything with the first one and then didn't have to buy a score anymore or or stock footage he could just regurgitate his own movies to the point where we get one whole film in the series, which we'll talk about later, that is entirely a clip show, which is classic Charles Mann full moon hijinks. Oh, it really is. Oh, my Jesus. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so so I, uh, hate, I hate it and I have to res- uh, salute it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely classic full moon Charles Mann stuff. You know, but, once I got to just tell you this really quick is that once i remember um 
because I've got like got him on the Facebook and everything like that. And I, you know, mentioned like just this one thing like, oh, it's Charlie Van's birthday. I'll send him a little message. And anybody who's gotten one from me knows I make that little have that little video from Movieocrity where the monsters are running around. And I sent him happy birthday. And I said, you know, thanks for turning me into who I am today. And he's you know what? I actually got a message back. I was like, holy cow, I got a message back from Charles Band and said, thank you. And oh, thank, we appreciate your emotions and everything like that. And then he tried to sell me something. Of course. You know what? <laughs> if he didn't try to sell me something, I think I would have been more disappointed. <laughs> That's classic Charles Band. Classic Charles Band. So let's go ahead and let's get talking about uh, everyone else's thoughts about the film. Angelique, as this is your first time seeing this, what did you think of uh, Puppet Master? I was mildly confused by the end of it because mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, murderous puppets. Wait a minute. What's all this psychic bullshit? <laughs> and in the end, I'm like, what is happening? Why the, the creepy vision of dancing fool and what? And then the puppets, you know, do their thing, which is cool. But I was just, you know, I was really just confused the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the story yeah. isn't very linear, Amanda. Did you, were you confused by this as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. We were 10 minutes away from the end of it. And I said, Derek, why the fuck does this guy's body keep showing up everywhere? Oh, I don't understand why there's just this. What do the psychics have to do with Andre Toulon? And what it, Where's this Neil character coming from? How did they all get there? And it why was, does this one psychic keep jilling off? Yes. What's with all this weird sex psychic? I don't understand this. Okay, so it was, wh- it was bizarre. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about the sex psychics because <laughs> there was the the movie. The main characters are this core group of psychics who get this quote unquote psychic message that draws them to the Bodega Bay in order to. I guess, meet with a former colleague that they didn't even really like all that much. Nobody seems to like anybody in this movie. Nope. They all hate each other. They're frenemies. They're frenemies. (laughs) Especially the character that they labeled the White Witch. Yeah. Very endearingly. Who I thought was the coolest of them all. Why? Because she had a stuffed dog. Well, my mom has a stuffed Wait, dog named Snickerdoodle. I know that. What? What? The the best. She does. <laughs> hey, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. Uh, My, but I, I they they got on your case because you were into weird stuff like Bigfoot and cryptozoology <laughs> and shit. And she's walking around with a stuffed dog. Well, she doesn't carry it with her, but it's a uh, it's well, in the living room. Well, it's a little bit bigger than a cocker spaniel. So I don't know. It's an important and, distinction, though, that she doesn't carry it with her. Yeah. <laughs> My dad, that would be weird. My dad, won't, my dad won't let her get a dog for some reason. My dad is just hell bent on not letting her. You've already got one. And so she went. She bought a taxidermy dog and she put it in the living room. She named it Snickerdoodles and she pets it and talks Wait, to it. And, oh, okay. So it wasn't her dog. No, it was just she found it at an estate sale. That's even fucking it. weirder. That's so much weirder. It wasn't this her the dog. Thing I've ever heard in my life. Sweet Jesus, you know, it sounds like a full moon movie already. I'm you know, such a dog person, so I'm so sensitive to this kind of thing. But that is just, I, I can't help it. That's that's somehow one of my, amazing. One of, my mom's, <laughs> one of my mom's favorite things to do when new people come over and don't know that she has this dog, which is very easy to see. I mean, it's like kind of in the middle of their house. And they have this big open concept house in the middle of the country. She... 
she'll wait for new people to come over and see this dog standing there because it's in a standing position. And she'll go, come here, Snickerdoodle. Oh no, what's wrong? Oh, what's happening? I'm like trying to. Get... <laughs> oh, She's acting so oh, I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta yeah. rein this in, guys. We're getting way off track here. This is, this is just, I'm getting like so much history and like explanation right now. Can we, can we just make a movie about Snickerdoodle? I was, I was gonna shoot. I'll send you guys a picture of Snickerdoodle puppet next ma- time I go ma- to my mom's house. It's gonna be Puppet Master. 14 snickerdoodle yeah. rising after we after we end the broadcast after we end the broadcast ask me about my mom's uh exposés while she was the president of the beta chi pecker high society okay i gotta rein this fucking shit in i gotta rain this in this, is, this, help, this help, is getting Derek, out of hand help, you're help, on help, mute yeah. amanda you're on mute okay i'm done <laughs> The chicken <laughs> oh my gosh! And and this is you're an editor. The, you can cut this out. The movie. <laughs> yeah. This none of this is confusing to you. It is confusing to everyone else in the world. But this movie was confusing. Yeah, it was. It was all over the place. I didn't understand the connection between. I assume there should have been some type of connection between the dead guy. And Andre Toulon. All there was. Of, well, all, but, but they glaze over it very quickly that he just somehow made his way. They don't really explain it much until the very end. So you're left this whole movie like, oh, wait, did I fall asleep and a new movie came on? I was like, it's just bizarre. Well, they kind of pull a psycho in the beginning. But Mark, did you find this, the story of this confusing at all? No, uh, actually, I, 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 sorry, I, I, I followed it. I, in fact, I figured I, I, you knew why he at least was looking for the Toulon uh, puppets and the secret uh, because he can kind of uh, piece it together. Plus, if you, you know, read the box. Um, but no, I, it, as far as the movie itself goes, I, I followed it and followed what was going on. Uh, as far as why the other people were there you get that near the end and i don't mind explanation till like the very end i i kind of like the enigma and the confusion and even in the beginning everybody here was talking about how you kind of get that story in the beginning where you don't really get a full explanation of what's going on uh i kind of liked that and you actually see a number of modern say horror films or whatnot almost follow that exact thing to where you get the scene and you don't really get a full explanation of what that scene is until at least make the connection to like near the end of the film, you know, and, and I've seen that in a number of horror films before some done worse here. I thought it was done well. And in the end, uh, the motivation, I kind of picked up on that and it did surprise me though, because I thought for sure he was going to be, his body was going to be a puppet body. You know, I was oh, kind of hoping yeah. for that, but we don't get that right away, uh, at least in this film. Uh, spoilers. But, uh, you know, I was kind of hoping f- for a little more of that angle uh, with it, you know. Uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, he he, he I, you get the motivation of him throughout and I, you kind of see it coming, uh, you know, and, and they don't go into a lot of detail, but they give you enough, I think, at the end to where you go, oh, OK. Uh, but that's just I, yeah i think one of the main problems that this movie has is that the main conceit um 
kind of like what we had talked about with Howling Five last year was uh, that I had a problem with was why the fuck did these people go there? Like, what was the mm-hmm. point of a bunch? Uh, I, I guess my main thing was why did these characters have to be psychics? I mean, other than the fact that it added some really kind of dreamy sequences because uh, Paul Lamott's character has the psychic ability to be able to kind of dream and foresee the future in his dreams. Um, And those sequences provided some real stylistic uh, kind of flourishes in the film. Like there's a great scene where all of a sudden he wakes up and at the bottom of the bed are the heads of all the rest of the dead people that the puppets had off. I thought that was a really cool scene, but for the most part, there was no need for these characters to be psychics at all. They could have just, people. well, they could have just said that um, their colleague had died and they were invited to a funeral. Glenn, did you feel this way as well? I, I just think that they were psychics just simply because the story said, hey, why not have psychics? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I think the reason for them being there is not really all that important. They're only there to get killed. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is kind of, you know, it, it is this mystery film, but ultimately it's kind of a body count film. Don't you agree, Seth? Yeah, uh, it definitely, you know, starts out as a slow burn, kind of hiding in the shadows. But I mean, by the time the third act comes around, it's just let's dispatch of everybody in the house. It doesn't matter if you're a psychic or not. Uh, Like you said, it could have just been they got invited there and then typical kind of haunted house spooks happen. It didn't have to all be centered around, you know, metaphysical psychic stuff. It, It was a showcase for the puppets to get nasty on some people that we didn't really have too much of a reason to like anyway. Right. Well, I think the vast majority of the characters are pretty despicable. I think there are two characters in particular that were that in tone really didn't feel like they were necessary. Um, and they're, they're all the only real reason they're there is to bring sleaze into this movie. And it's these two psychics or these two doctors that I'll label the horny psychics that literally use their ability to just get off and have orgasms. One of the psychics, is, from what I can tell, is just a, a pervert. And then mm-hmm. the other psychic is a woman who, by touching or being in a space, can um, psychically feel experiences of the people that had been in that space. And she only uses it to kind of sense all of the fucking that Sexual had happened. experiences of liaisons. <laughs> oh my God, Frankie. What? This is a movie star bed. Not now, Carissa. No, really. Two famous movie stars had a wild night in this bed. Come feel it. Stop it. This is business. We're focusing on Gallagher, remember? You know I can't help it, Frankie. I know, baby. It's just that I don't want you becoming distracted. We have to use your gifts to find out what Gallagher was doing here. Oh, my God. And these characters, like, literally, all she did, like, you have this power, and all you can think about is just getting fucked the entire time. Angelique, what did you think of these characters? Well, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) 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 
it was ridiculous. I mean, really. Like, yeah, I mean, I do the same thing when I stay in a hotel, just lay on the bed and imagine, you know, all the people that have been there before me. But you know. Yeah, with a black light, right? You yeah, just, exactly. You're trying to make sure. Like the one thing you don't want. <laughs> I mean, I do my best to spread my DNA all over a hotel suite. <laughs> but, Astro know. Radio Z mem- uh, listeners, make note, never stay in a hotel suite that Angelique Bone has been in. She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> There's a handprint on the ceiling somewhere. <laughs> but anyway, no. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, you wait in a movie like this for some sleaze. And it, sleaze is great until it makes you kind of uncomfortable. And it, if it was just the lady psychic, it would have been cool. But having her pervert counterpart... Who was just like, oh yeah, give me more, more detail, baby. And you know, pervert off the bat, right? You know, oh, this little girl's feisty. <laughs> Ew, dude, really? Go suck an electrode or something. I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and you know, just to poll, uh, we have two women on this show, and. I don't know. I don't know if anybody, uh, any of the male thing is, is attracted uh, to guys like you're gay or bi or whatever, you know, just putting it out there if you are. But the guy part of this, the balding, tall, lanky dude in this situation. Any sparks? None. Any sparks? No. <laughs> Not even the ponytail? <laughs> Not even the ponytail with the bald head? The male pattern baldness with the little one in the back. I mean, come on, that didn't do anything for you. I mean, y'all know my standards are low. (laughs) (laughs) He did at one point put a pantyhose over his head, and something happened for me there, but. (laughs) What? Joking. Oh, are you kidding me? What? Oh, are you kidding me? I'm being silly. He put a pantyhose on his head and then playfully strangled her with the other one. And then, okay, romance. So, I mean, that's sexy, but Derek came. Derek um, was. I don't want to know if he did it earlier. Yeah, no. <laughs> Derek was watching these earlier while I was taking a nap, and um, he when he I woke up, he's like, I I didn't remember how much sex there is in this, like right off the bat, because the first introduction you get to that scientist and his psychic counterpart are when they're trying to have psychic connections with a girl in an experiment. In the experiment, there's this stupid box that just bleeps and bloops for no reason. He turns dials on it. Wiggles dials. But instead of just being like, imagine a vacation you had that you really enjoyed. Tell me about the first time you went to the ocean. Tell me, you know, tell me psychically about your dog. It's. All right, Andrea, I want you to recreate in your mind your wildest sexual fantasy, paying particular attention to the details. All right. Make yeah. it sexy. And then, more detail. And then when he when then when they're going to have a, um, a sexual experiment, as he phrases it, I think it was a psychic sexual experiment. He's talking into a to a mini tape recorder to be given to a transcriber. And he's like, (laughs) just being a perv, you know? He's like, oh, we will be using many sexual instruments and other (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And note to the transcriber. So this isn't even just for him. It isn't even just for him and his girlfriend to like revisit. 
I caught it, that too, and I was just like thinking, like I felt so sorry for that transcriber. Yes, <laughs> I I know trans medical transcribers. No, this isn't I can for just picture uh, some woman just like son of a bitch. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, no, you guys are under false assumptions. These are just stories for the spank bank. That's all these. Yeah. Were. <laughs> well, that's not what I assumed it was, and then he says. Uh, note for my transcriber. Please make sure you annotate our location or something goofy like that. Uh, he's got a transcriber. You, he's a scientist. If he once you get that grant money, you do whatever you can to hold on to it. Yeah. 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 Some poor schmuck or lady or whatever is actually transcribing this and hating their life. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now. They all they were they were notes for the penthouse notes pages that's what they were right <laughs> i think we've kind of exhausted this one um let's go ahead let's go down the line and let's give our final thoughts and and thumbs up and thumbs down uh and anything else that we may have missed go ahead daniel uh ultimately what do you think of this first puppet master movie uh i'll just kind of blend it in like with the whole psychic experience thing. it just i mean i'll go ahead and tell you it's a thumbs up this is and this is whether you like the movie or not it's almost like you got required reading this is required watching this is just mm-hmm. to watch it to appreciate it to watch it to love it to loathe it whatever it is this the film the premise has been done before a group of psychic come come together crazy shit happens people die i mean in this instance it's puppets and we don't even really need the psychics i think the psychics was just kind of like jester it's just a way to progress images in video format like you've got the sex psychics and stuff is one of those things it's like you got as i mentioned before charlie van and his crazy ideas and he gets so many of them it's like wouldn't it be cool if they were psychics wouldn't it be cool if they were ghostbusters Fuck yeah, put them in there. <laughs> we've got psychics and we got you know great they come together but one of them dreams two of them fucking one of them's a white bitch <laughs> and it just and you see what I'm saying it's almost like a comic you can see the beginnings of where he was going subconscious where Charles Brand was going subconsciously with this just because it's almost like they set up like a like a goddamn video game you know and you have this core group of you know your four people or fuck however many there were however you know, two fucking one with a haircut and then one this Dixie knockoff I will say my favorite I don't know why like my favorite part in that movie it was mentioned before too about the mystique and you got the mysterium behind this movie all of a sudden this damn corpse is sitting in her in Dixie Knott Carter's chair like she mm-hmm. in the room and that part was fucking awesome because he's just sitting there and he's like holy shit and because then it's like wait a minute why is he there what, who is this guy wait a minute he was in the coffin so what's the story behind this so while you're sitting there trying to recalibrate and <laughs> yourself with the story she sees him and doesn't flip out she's like it's just the calm cool way that she does it which is like her accent actually fits because all she does is walk over and grabs these feathers comes around and just starts spitting incense and wiggling the feathers around you know like voodoo ritual and then when she's done she just says we bury the dead here and then just walks away for some reason that scene was bad as shit like yeah What's so cool is that one of those things, it's like it didn't fit. But because of that, I thought it was cool. It's like, holy shit, this chick knows magic. It's like, you know, they call her the white witch and she's got her candles and stuff. And she's a, you know, class A bitch, I think is what she actually referred to herself as in the film. But when you get that one scene, it's like, well, at least she knows, she thinks that what she's doing is 
powerful and is going to work. And it kind of like that one scene I just love. But yeah, all in all, sorry to ramble. Thumbs up. I mean, (laughs) it's a required watch. If anything, just for the skillful, low budget art that the film is. Yeah, I agree, Dan. I think, you know, for a low budget film, it definitely tries to compete with higher budget ilk of that time and the the character the white witch does her initial scene also brings a a notable person into the series for blip barbara crampton plays a doe-witted uh (laughs) girlfriend that goes to get her psychic palm uh red and uh it's a cute little scene she's she's always a welcome addition to any movie glenn uh final thoughts thumbs up thumbs down i think one of the characters sums it up best for how i feel that would be uh when uh, when pinhead said uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely definitely a big uh meaty fisted thumb up for this one i, I like this one a lot I, I don't know how many times i've seen this at least at least seven or eight times so this is what i come back to frequently Cool. Scott? Uh, Yeah, I mean, everything you guys have just said, uh, I totally agree with. I think that this is, by put, you know, there's, yeah, there's goofy parts to this. The sexy psychics are absolutely the dumbest part of this. But this is, you know, even though you're always, Charlie Van's always looking to make a profit. I mean, that's what, he's an exploitation filmmaker. Of course he is. But this film feels different even when it was trying to like kind of make a mark in there it knew that in order to make a mark you're not that means you don't do things that are the same you set yourself apart from the pack and by uh giving us an entire group of uh, you know potential horror villains or heroes we didn't know at the time to root for to give us this weird psychic group where honestly i would have liked to see kind of more about how they interact with the natural world since they kind of we just get their kind of laissez-faire attitude about how weird they are all that stuff i mean this film really felt different from everything else that was out there so absolutely you know uh, it's a big thumbs up for me Cool, Seth. Uh, definite you thumbs up. Me? I don't think it's uh, perfect. I, I think it's a little. What is going on? Hey, what is <laughs> what is going on there, Angelique? <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was on mute, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, lo- we love you too. <laughs> there, there, there's some psychic sexual stuff going on over there with Angelique right now. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> you would have heard something different. <laughs> Uh, big thumbs up. Uh, I don't think it's the perfect start to the series, but you definitely see Charles Van was definitely trying to craft something that turns into a much bigger uh, franchise and just product in general. And uh, you kind of see that with the timeline getting messed up into part three when they flash back. But it's nothing really major. Uh, the stop motion and all the animation on the puppets is really well done and doesn't look cheap at all. I think the score... I know it gets repeated endlessly throughout, but I think it's kind of an iconic score as far as absolutely goes. Uh, if you know, if Halloween can repeat it throughout 15 movies, why can't Puppet Master? And I think it fits the tone of the movie, it fits the title of the movie. Big thumbs up! Can't wait to talk about the rest of them, Mark. I, yeah, big thumbs up here. Um, 
definitely will break your idea of low budget films, especially the way the stop motion on the puppets look. In all honesty, it looks better than some of the stop motion that was done in films at that time that were getting wide release. They took care in it. And that's what this film is. There's a lot of care taken into this. And I know people picked on, talked about, oh, you know, the the dumb psychic, uh, you know, sexual psychics and that. This is his establishing slasher icons of his own. And all those dumb psychics that are all sexualized are just your dumb sexualized teenagers in the woods is all they are. And the one who drinks a lot is just your dumb teenager who who does the drugs and does the sin and gets killed in a lot of ways. So, you know, you can see him trying to build these puppets as the icons that he wants them to be in, in his own way. And I think making it psychic just added going for a different little level to try to be a little bit different. But at its core, it, it's establishing his slasher group of of characters that will carry you through the whole series that you want you don't you're not supposed to care about the psychics in this you want to he wants you to care about the puppets the whole thing is to set up the puppets at least that's my impression of it i i could be completely off but but the way as as scotty said it he's a salesman he's selling the puppets it, it, you could have had anybody up there you know but that lion's mane that alex character had oh my god and i do enjoy the twist at the end as well with um with, who's it robin freight's character megan gallagher i i liked it and they mentioned leroy at the end i, I like the twist at the end because it suddenly made you wonder exactly if she was to be punny the puppet master of the whole thing mm-hmm. and you know what secrets did she actually have the whole time and was she pulling the wool over everyone's eyes and i loved that bit at the very end with leroy because that that surprised me with this film and i think that's what this film is it will surprise you that this was a direct to video low budget because this one especially for when it came out i think could go toe to toe with any of the wide release horror that was released at the same time oh hell yeah any day yeah it definitely had the quality of a, a bigger budget film uh angelique um bewildered thumbs up you know it was not a bad movie at all just you know the plot kind of lost me a bit but enjoyable and it's just one of those stupid fun ones amanda well that's what i was gonna say too for as much moaning and groaning as i did while we were watching it i liked it as a movie that's surprising because you kind of looked like you were rolling your eyes like you didn't really like this movie. no i liked it it was it was funny and corny but i also really like stop motion animation and puppetry so those were two really big bonuses. There were just some parts that didn't make a whole hill of beans of sense to me. Mm-hmm. So once you kind of get through that, then I liked it. Yeah, I think um, this is a thumbs up for me. It's not what I would consider the best of the series, um, but it definitely is probably the most. Uh, no, it's not the most serious film in the series, but it, it's it's definitely the most different film in the series it doesn't focus on camp it doesn't focus on the puppets per se they're just a part of the story of the overall story and if you're looking for kind of a a dreamier gothic kind of uh, movie dealing with killer puppets this might be your flick so let's go ahead 
because we have two more movies to go on to tonight. Let's move on to Puppet Master 2, his unholy creation that was released in 1991. The puppets of Andre Toulon. First, they made you smile. And then they made you die. Blade, Pinhead, Jester, Leech Woman, and Tunneler. Now the show has begun again. And this time, their master is back from beyond the grave. You brought me back. And Andre Toulon is proud to present the newest addition to his terrifying troupe. You may think you've got the powers of hell on your side. Torch. They thought they could unlock Toulon's secrets. It's amazing. But what these researchers have opened, no one can escape. We're all in danger as long as we remain in this house. Is a Pandora's box of death. Master 2. His unholy creations hold the strings to your life. I know how to get into things. Here's the synopsis for Puppet Master 2 from imdb.com. The puppets return and hunt paranormal researchers in attempt to take their brain fluid for their master, Andre Toulon. Now, as it says in that synopsis, the puppets, they bring back Andre Toulon in this movie in a scene that's not unlike the opening sequence of Jason Lives, where it's in a cemetery. There's lightning and they're digging out this corpse out of out of the grave. And there's this great opening shot of these corpse hands coming out and the puppets aligning the, the grave itself. Um, amazing sequence. I love the opening shot of this film. But uh, the main thrux of this film, again, a group of psychic, uh, quote unquote, paranormal investigators go to the Bodega Bay Inn to figure out why Alex from part one has gone insane. And what ends up happening? A bunch of puppets start killing them off. And Andre Toulon, in doing his best Renfield and Invisible Man uh, <laughs> impression, wanders around and attempts to get his slime on with one of the researchers. Now, um, from the get-go, this movie pretty much acts as a campier uh, carbon copy of part one. In that aspect, it's really disappointing. Amanda, did you feel this way? That this was disappointing as... That, well, that this was... No, that this was more of a carbon copy than a new movie. This was kind of like the same movie as Oh, it was one. the same movie, right, in that they bring all these people, they get this group of people back to the bodega... 
and back to the Bodega Inn, which I have to say is like the best name ever. The Bodega Bay Inn. I love it. I don't know why. I love the idea of this um, Bodega Bay Inn at the shoreline, you know, at the coastline. There's something about it that I really like. But yeah. The, and then the puppets just start killing everybody. And there's a psychic involved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dan, do you, do you think this doesn't uh, deviate enough for your taste from the first film? Well, it did a little different uh, the first one, you know, just because it's trying to find with the po- yeah, it was uh, it was different. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know if I liked it. I don't know if I liked the story as much, but it was almost kind of like the same movie. Only instead of Dixie Knock Carter, you have like a Gary Busey, Jake Busey love child. You know how, like, if you mix in the lines, what I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. That main dude, the bike rider, yeah, that was the love interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, love interest. That's what it's called. Um, kind of, I get what they were doing, and it, like Amanda said, I like the Bodega Bay. I like the environment. It's almost like that was a story in and of itself. Is just you know the mystique again of the setting was really cool. The the Renfield Invisible Man thing was yeah, it was a bit strange, but I, I, I guess it's just kind of sort of the puppet master, the idiosyncrasies of the series itself is that kind of I just kind of it's like we said, you know, you get a full moon movie, you just, you know what you're getting, just go with it. It's kind of one of those I really didn't nitpick it as much. I just rolled with it. <laughs> I'm so su- I'm surprised um, that they kind of change from part one. You don't really get a a sense of what the Andre Toulon character is in part one because you have such a brief introduction to him, and he seems like this sort of um, sympathetic character. And then they bring him back to life in this, and he's this totally campy, over the top, well, my puppets, uh, kind of Renfield character, like I said. And uh, he totally kind of throws the serious tone of the rest of the film off because his performance is so ridiculously over the top. Seth, what do you think of how they play Andre Toulon in this movie? I like the Invisible Man look. Um, I do think he's a little bit too over the top. And I agree that that does take away from the serious side of the film. But I think the whole film takes away from the seriousness of the first one in that they just went straight slasher film in this one. Yeah, It's just I think he wanted to make it bigger and badder as far as horror goes and just, you know, ramp up the violence as far as he could. Yeah, well, this movie was directed by the effects man of the first film, David Allen, who also directed The Immortal Dungeon Master, which is one of my favorite cheesy-ass B-movies. Well, one of all one time. part of it, so, yeah. Well, right, right, right. And uh, so you could tell that the effects were more in the forefront than the story was in this film. Scott, do you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, I don't know if Wikipedia can be trusted on this or not, but uh, apparently the budget was almost doubled for this uh, second installment. And there's a lot more effects work going on. I mean, you've got some really impressive bits, like there's a part where you actually see Blade jump off the bed and then start chasing Charlie Spradling. And this is not CGI, uh, kids. This is stop motion animation and actual puppetry, which is 
really a lot more difficult and <laughs> requires a lot more artistry. And um, so he was definitely more effects uh, centric. And, uh, you know, you will listen to if you listen to any of the video zones, watch any of the video zones, listen to any of the commentaries, see any um, interviews with Charles Band. There is no non-family member that he will talk more rapturously about than David Allen. He loved this guy. I mean, I mean, you could just sense it. He was in such he had such an admiration of this man's skill. And uh, going back to when they started working together and he kept on bragging about, yes, and he was nominated for an Oscar for young Sherlock Holmes. And he did this and he did that, you know, and he like even like tossing around credits that had nothing to do with Charles Band. And even you listen to his commentary on uh, Puppet Master 2. I have the I have the Blu-rays of the first three here and listen to the commentary. And it's it, it goes back and forth between him telling stories that are completely unrelated to Puppet Master 2, namely the roadshows and the creation of Ghoulies and just constantly being in awe of David Allen. Uh, and what an amazing person and what an amazing talent he was who and I'm using past tense because he passed away very young. And um, there's a, a lot of his talent on display in this movie, uh, so much so that I think that you don't really want to say it, but. I think that uh, a lot of the Puppet Master series kind of lost something when David Allen passed away. Absolutely did. I you mean, know, the, the because, just the basic movement of the puppets really scaled down after the heat passed away and he, he wasn't was, involved in the series. He was so good. He was so good. And you will still talk here. Charles Band talk about constantly. Um, he talks about it some in interviews and he talks about it a lot on his um I don't know. I want to call it movie maker series. Uh, the one where he actually tells you how to make a mo movie, the Charles Band way. And there's like a 10 disc series. Yeah, Cinemaker. A Cinemaker. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Yes. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one who won that $200 gift uh, spending spree at uh, full moon a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> the, um, not at all. Uh, the, uh, and uh, he will talk about how, Oh yeah, we've been shoot. We shot all this footage for this movie, Primeval's, and he, I think they shot this like in the eighties, mm -hmm. and it's still not finished. And he still promises to one day finish it. And to this day, um, I don't almost don't want to almost want, don't want to know what it would be like, you know, if he tried to finish it, you know, 30, 40 years later, but it would be awful, Scott. Let's admit he, it'd be but awful. He loves David Allen and he always wants to do right by him. And this is really the only feature length film that David Allen directed. Uh, you know, as I briefly mentioned, a dungeon Ma when you talked about dungeon master that had, that was like basically a bunch of short films right. put together to spotlight the empire talent or empire pictures, later full moon pictures talent. And um, this is the only feature length film he directed. And, this played a lot better than I remembered it being. And part of that is because he was able to marry 
his uh, special effects work with his uh, directing work. Uh, real quick, just before we move on, because I know I'm babbling. I'm so, so sorry. I want to give everybody a chance. Um, but we talk about a lot about the how he reuses the exterior shot of the Bodega Bay Inn. That's a miniature. Oh, yeah. That was a question that's, Amanda had. That. Yeah. that is not a real place. They made a hanging miniature that you could put mm-hmm. on the back of a flatbed truck. And uh, he found a cliff, hung the miniature, and shot it like that. And, of course, they used filters and everything and shot it from every angle possible and everything and then showed waves and what shit. Holy and, shit. yeah, but, I mean, like... It looks like a real thing. He, Charles Band insists, like, if you really pause, you can see that it's a miniature, but it still looks pretty good. You know what? I'm blind as a bat, so I didn't even bother to try. <laughs> I, so. I absolutely always figured that that was the case. It just you could tell kind of like on I the edges that it doesn't I look didn't. quite right. See, and I didn't. To me, it just looked like a reused shot, like kind of like how uh, Corman always used the uh, castle from what was it, Pit in the Pendulum or something? Right, right, right. You know, yeah, he used that for like 40 plus years. You know, I just thought it was a case like that. But no, they did that shot just for the movie. And it, you know what? Even in high def, it looks good. See, and I assumed it was a composite. I assumed that that was probably a real place that it was that they composited into a different background to make that shot. Well, the it inserts. was like a real place, but not on a cliff, like in uh, you know Ohio, some eccentric millionaire's mansion in Ohio right. or something. <laughs> right. Well, the, the, that's a that's a thing that I want to bring up for sure is the fact that um, as a true low budget uh, filmmaker and uh, producer, all of these movies really use their spaces well and are obviously not all the same place. You can just tell that they aren't all the same place. The exteriors are shot in a way that make you think they're that place that's in that comp shot. They look then they blend very well. Um, this film in particular feels a lot smaller than the first film was just the way that it's shot isn't as grand the the spaces especially in four by three um which is the way because i have one of those like 10 packs and that's how i have uh the puppet master series is one of those five dollar um echo bridge mill creek uh 10 packs of movies and they're all in the vhs four by three um versions um the film feels very small and very claustrophobic um, oh. the, none of the none of the spaces in particular look as grand as they did in the first film, but you can definitely tell that they are utilizing these spaces to the best of their ability, and it's pretty seamless for the most part. Uh, Mark, what do you think of kind of the ingenuity and the use of space in uh, this second film? I liked it. Uh, I thought it uh, helped add to keeping it smaller i think helped with the puppets making them a little bit not more real or or larger maybe i'm not sure i just i like the claustrophobic feel i like how it was it felt smaller in in scope as far as the building of where they're at the rooms were uh felt a bit smaller you know everything did but i i kind of like that because it added to you know to the feel of of when you got to see the puppets and, and also that kind of claustrophobic feel. So, you know, for me, I didn't mind, but you can definitely tell the difference in 
the use of space between this one and the first one, because the first one we had the grand ballrooms and the Y. I mean, you, you, every room was huge. Even the, the hotel rooms were, were pretty damn big for hotel rooms. <laughs> um, and yeah, in, in this one, I think it added to because this is a different film. You know, in the first one, he was establishing the puppets, and in this one, you, you know, he he's drifting into poltergeist territory with, with the uh, whole suddenly the hotel was built by an occult person and, you know where they dropped that line and and just it you know this what he's playing to a, a different group of films versus the first one i think and yeah it is more of an all-out slasher but overall i think uh it, it is a different style you can you can tell it's being handled differently uh, but i think it it fit the story and and the scenes that they were shooting because i think they were able to do a little bit more with it being uh not quite so large of space Mm -hmm. right this film i think is where they start world building Mm -hmm. this series because we get flashbacks to uh of andre toulon in egypt and this kind of weird hybrid universal uh (laughs) flashback (laughs) where where this one guy has the you know the dracula highlights on his eyes as Mm -hmm. he psychically makes uh toulon's puppets immolate Mm -hmm. in front of his crowd and and that scene in particular has a, a very tasteless uh brown face of some kids in oh, is it really? oh, absolutely. Yeah. Take a look again. Which, Very much so. Which, uh, if you want to make it uh, possibly more distasteful, it, those were Charles Van's kids. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you they look back fondly on that shot. Yeah. I, Thanks, I, Dad. I'm a hate crime. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw them credited in that, and I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, and also, let, let's just give credit to how they – pronounce uh Osisaurus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm they, they did that and I just I lost it. I just laughed so hard. I'm well, like, it, it's I'm like for- wait, wait, Osisaurus? <laughs> right, right. This isn't this is isn't the first four letters of country again. Uh, <laughs> <I know. laughs> but, but in general this film it plays camp a lot higher than anything else. So like you said, in pronunciation, in uh, just some of the acting, the acting, I think uh, all around for the most part, other than a few people is pretty poor. Mm -hmm. Like I I really think that they, this director was far more interested in the special effects uh, in kind of the world building than they were these characters. These characters were meat were stocked and they were just there to get off. There was a cute little cameo with George Buck uh, flower in this film as a backwoods hick living with his, uh, his wife. What do you want? One's hotel. What fur? Where'd you say you was going? Oh, uh, Scarab Hill. It's, uh, near Bodega Bay. Get back on the highway, turn left at the crossroads, and if your luck runs out, you'll find the place. My luck? If you know what's good for you, you'll stay away from that hotel! They say Satan's got a suite of rooms in there! And brimstone comes out of the chimneys at night and it smells like roasting entrails! 
Burning angels, and I looked at Derek. And I'm like, "What the fuck? A burning angel? That's really oh. weird." <laughs> no, angels. I, I just wanted him to once go crazy drunk driver. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. I love seeing him in movies. Well, but he could get it, cancer and die. <laughs> oh man, there's there is just a lot of fun camp, and this is one of those films. Um, when I was growing up watching these that I always thought this was my favorite one just because it had enough of the, the goofiness, uh, a lot of puppet action. And it was always really neat. And there's some pretty good gore in it. Angelique is a first time view. What did you think of this one? Um, it was kind of like um, the legend of Hill house meets silent night, daily night two. <laughs> you know, <Wow>. it's <laughs> the, the evil dead two of the uh, puppet master franchise, I guess. Um, <laughs> I like keeping it, you know, in the hotel. And, and of course, the reanimated Toulon was absolutely ridiculous. I like that they did the 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 two bumpkins. That was my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> they are fun. And the, and the kill sequence of those two is a pretty yes. memorable sequence. Yeah, it's good. And that's where Leech Woman gets the axe. Mm -hmm. Yes. She gets thrown into the fire and burned up. We laughed our asses off at that part. Mm -hmm. This poor little thing shaking. And, ah! Yeah. <laughs> well, much to Amanda's dismay, she would not go away in the series. But we did get a new puppet in this mm -hmm. film in the character Torch, who is a Nazi trooper with a blowtorch for a hand. And bullet teeth. And bullet teeth. Fuck yeah. He's one of the coolest puppets yeah. you'll see in all of these movies. Yep. And why he goes away for some films, I have no idea. Maybe it was just because he was too difficult to because they had like, I believe on the video zone, they show um, that they had a team of uh, of different puppets for him. So it, maybe it was just a, a matter of they didn't have enough people to accurately get him to work or whatever that in subsequent films he wasn't utilized as much. But in this film, he's awesome. I love mm -hmm. him in this one. Glenn, what do you think of Torch? Tor Torch is fucking awesome, man. I everything just from his look to the fact that he's got a freaking flamethrower hand. It's just it's all I could ever want in a puppet. <laughs> you sound like all you're tearing up there, Glenn. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Like, let's go ahead and move on because I think Glenn needs a moment to collect himself here. He's verklempt, as they as they would say. <laughs> Amanda, what did you think overall of this flick? I think this one was good. I what I like, what I appreciate about this film, and what I appreciate about certain genres of horror in general is if it's an unrealistic plot, then crank up the camp for me. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So. To me, puppets are never going to come alive, although to try and tell my nine-year-old self that. But anyway, puppets are never going to come alive. They're never going to slice me up. I'm never going to have a, a blowtorch puppet chasing me around. So crank up the camp value. And that's what that's what I like about this one. And that's why when you said before, who is your favorite puppet in the first one? I said, oh, well, I guess I'll have to pick Blade because Torch is across all the movies we've watched so far, hands down, 
He is 100% my favorite. Everybody else sits at 50%. Oh, wow. That's that, that much well, of a deviation. That's saying something. And, and I think yeah. the best scene in this film comes when Torch meets a real asshole little boy who thinks he's Indiana Jones. Yes. Who enjoys flogging a little too much. Enjoys flogging a a half-naked G.I. Joe character. Yeah. I'd like to know know what parents allow their child of that age just to be hanging around with a whip. Yeah, that's a serious number. (laughs) Yeah, that's a weird toy, man. Yeah, well, he's a weird little boy. Why Nazi scum? I'm the Big Strides Movie. I'm Indiana, and this is the set. What do you think of me now? So do something. I'm the director. Do what I say. Move! Can't you get up? Come on, do something. Now! Come on! Is that all you can do? know that that was some like meta in joke <laughs> thing going on yeah and be as to say the boy gets torched to shit mm-hmm. and that's one of my favorite sequences because man that kid is a real asshole i like that torch's vocalizations are just little grumbles uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's great it's good stuff uh so let's i i think we've Pretty much exhaustive. Is there anything we're missing here, folks, that you want to talk about? The thing about this movie that I want that I think you should mention is that it is so contradictory to every other entry in the series. Absolutely is. It's like they decided, like, okay, this is where we're going to go with this movie, and then right after it was done, they said, oh, forget all of that no we're not gonna do that you have so many things first they uh ignore the plot twist from the last movie yeah at the very end which i thought was a really good plot twist um then you have the whole characterization of tulan himself now you could actually say that uh it's the reanimation fluid that makes the person come back evil uh, which kind of like be, Pet Cemetery or something. Which like I that. think would would actually probably be the case since the uh, psychic. Uh, spoiler alert, guys! If you haven't seen the movie, you can turn off for next few minutes or something. Since the psychic from early in the movie is brought back with the reanimation fluid, and suddenly she's evil. You know, so you could say that, but I mean, lots of little things like um, Ms. Leach is offed. And he experiences no remorse whatsoever about this, uh, which is especially odd when you consider what her origin is in the next movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, just the entire tone is different. I still like the movie a lot, but I mean, I can't 
hate any movie with Charlie Spradling in it. Holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not forget that really amazing last act of this film where it really devolves into classic full moon hijinks where it's totally off the wall. Lots of uh, lots of violence. Lots of weird sorcery type shit. Um, there's a ritual where Andre Toulon takes off his bandages and he's this decrepit corpse underneath and slits his own throat and then comes back to life as the most creepy human-sized mannequin ever. It's it's an amazing end sequence. Angelique, what did you think of how this movie ends? I loved it. Like when I saw the uh, arm of the clown suit in the van, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. The, the puppets decide at the very end after they offed Andre too long, which is a tradition in this series where the person gets all the power and then decides to flip the bird to the puppets. And the puppets are like, uh, what? Think not. I don't think so, dude. I'm going to fuck you up. And they end up fucking that person up. Uh, they bring back the the gypsy woman of this movie and she is the creepy woman version of the mannequin and unfortunately they never do anything with that in any of the subsequent movies either i thought that was for the best you know the i well just not so much the creepy woman but just the the idea they had for going which was to be going into puppet master three was okay, we're going to go to this uh, home for the teen- with a bunch of teenagers who are mentally disturbed because if uh, they start talking about seeing puppets, no one will believe them. Never mind that they probably believe them if they, like all these teens started winding up with their brains like extracted. No, no, This no, was the original okay. idea for part three? Well, I mean, that's what they say in the end. That's what they say oh, the that's because, yeah, they, you're right, because they're she said for, that's where they're going. And that and and to me, that would just make it another version of Bad Dreams or Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Right. You know, uh, maybe you disagree. I don't know. But I mean, that's what I'd be like, you know, nothing is wrong with that. But we've already got those movies. Yeah, but no puppets. I thought it was so much more intriguing going in the direction that they went in later on. Maybe that was just a nod and a wink to uh, those films. Apparently, like, well, apparently, like, I don't know how long that lasted, but in the commentary, when she's talking at the end, Charles Bannister saying, oh, too much dialogue. Shut up already. Shut up. And, you know, and, of course, you know, it. like he said, OK, there's going to be a third one, but it's got to be this. <laughs> there wasn't anything that was even slightly alluded to in the end of part two. Oh, boy. Well, I also tend to agree. I'll, I'll go ahead and give my final thoughts, my thumbs up and thumbs down on this one. We'll start this this last round and we'll move on to three after this. But I I used to think this was my favorite one of the series. But upon revisiting these first three films, I really think this is of the first three. This is probably my least favorite of the first three. Um, I while I, I dig Um, The camp value and the effects work in the ultimate story arc that these first three movies play along with this movie, like Scott said, contradicts everything. And I I really think it's to the detriment of the overall world they were trying to build with the subsequent films. So while I like this, I I, I think in general, it's just kind of almost a standalone film. It really doesn't 
fit in any of the con- continuity whatsoever, because after this, they would never follow any of this up, of this story up and they would never reference it ever again. And re- in all reality, you could go from one to three and not miss a beat. Yeah, really. But if you're a fan of really goofy over the top full moon, this is a gr- this is a good one. It's it's a very light, fun horror film. Amanda. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait to start talking about the third one because that's just such a bizarre turn. In my opinion, it's kind of a bizarre turn from where all these are going or trying to go together. But I like this one because like what you said, that the camp value is up a little bit. And I appreciate that in these types of films. Cool. Uh, Daniel. Uh, once again, I mean, it's, I consider it a thumbs up. It's a must watch. It's just, it's almost like required watching. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, you could skip this one. You could go from the first to the third, just like Nightmare on Elm Street. But this one was good it, for the first half of the movie. Is it, you know, it's kind of whatever. But I mean, you nailed it right, dude. The end of this movie is awesome. It is full moon firing on all cylinders. And it's almost kind of like, you know, a precursor to other things that happen in other movies and stuff. It's like they take that formula and just continue with it and get better at it. Most notable, just the animation in the movie. The puppet animation is really cool. It just, I hate to just say it. It's like, man, that's badass. But <laughs> please, from now on, speak like that, Daniel. When, when you say bad, when you say something's cool, well, I, I have, I'll have to man, that's badass because it, it is. It just the animation is really cool, and just once again, kind of like the voodoo part from the Dixie Knot Carter from the first one. This this one scene at the end of the movie when two line pulls the rags off, takes the hat off, you know, the invisible man is done and he's this old mummy who looks really cool. It wasn't the same, you know, but it reminded me a lot of uh, Radu's mother from the subspecies films. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, big time. That mummy mask thing. And then he, he references like the Egyptian, maybe it was my brain making a reference that didn't exist, but I mean, this Egyptian mummification, resurrection rituals, I mean, that's, that's there. Just the process of it, you know, he switched it and rearranged it a little bit. And, you know, it's like the reanimator thing, but still it's the, the same concept. And dude cuts his own fucking throat. I mean, that's just it's like, holy shit. You know, it's badass, man. Just, it's very cool. Thumbs up just for that sequence. The ending, whatever. <laughs> we move- <laughs> when you saw the full moon logo. So, I mean, that just just watch it. Just enjoy it. at least once. Live a little. Live a little. You don't know what you're missing. That's right. <laughs> Seth. This one falls uh, squarely in the middle of the first three for me. I think it's the one you want to <laughs> sit back with a couple beers, you know, a couple drinks and watch a Puppet Master movie. I think part two is the one you just throw on and enjoy. Uh, yeah, you can skip it in the in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, it's got Torch. That's enough for, to watch it. I want Torch to be my co-pilot like he is at the end of the movie. <laughs> you just be cruising do you think torch would get you beers yeah i mean he would go in and torch the place i'd get fireball <laughs> cool mark where the first one was a hammer horror this is definitely an ode at least a bit i know i mentioned poltergeist in the beginning of this film but it definitely turns to an ode to universal monsters from Toulon being wrapped up like the invisible man to the torch scene, which you could allude to Frankenstein and the little girl scene. Only this takes a much 
darker turn. Much uh, so. <laughs> but it is a standalone. I mean, you don't need you don't really need to see it, but but you should because it shows you how they could take, even with the bigger budget from the first one, what they were able to do back then with the money they had for what this film really truly is. It's amazing. The puppetry, the, the effects. And yeah, that third act is just so amazingly crazy. It's like, wow, this is what that ending is what the way I kind of wanted the end of one to go. So when I got that in two, I'm like, yes, we have human sized puppets now. Yes, that's that's what I was looking for. So, yeah, it, it's an enthusiastic thumbs up for you, uh, not just to watch it as completionist, but just watch it for seeing what people were able to do with just the little money that they had. Uh, and I know it was a lot of money, but for back then, for what they did, you'll be like, they made it for how much? Uh, you know, and this was direct to video, you know, because it, it did. It 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 just felt it was a fun movie. Cool. Angelique. Oh, I liked it. Thumbs up. Um, like you, you know, the adult, the, the large life size puppets, you know, I thought that's where it was going to go kind of at the end of one, but it didn't. So to see that actually come to fruition was really cool. Glenn. Definitely my least favorite of the three. Really didn't like the path they took with Toulon. Just like completely different from what you're showing the first one. I mean, I like I like the introduction of Torch, but it just I don't know, it just seemed like here we're gonna take a story that was I mean not necessarily serious with the first one, but you know, somewhat serious, and just be like, let's just be goofy as fuck. And have someone and the, the over the top acting just it didn't really do it for me. I mean, it's still an okay film because you can see Torch burn the shit out of that kid. <laughs> um, so that's that's worth enough that that's enough to get a thumbs up for me, but only because it's kids on fire. <laughs> <laughs> There's the name of a band, Kids on Fire. There you go. Next band and their new album. Lobster, lobster <laughs> <laughs> kids on fire, lobster vasectomy coming to a Best Buy, Walmart near you. Awesome, Scott Davis. Let's round this out. As I said, well, as I as I said, it's uh, I pretty much said most of it. It's, it's uh, very contradictory. It's strange. It's kind of the outlier. You, as everybody else has said, you could go right from one to three and not miss that much especially any important information is kind of reiterated later on at the same time i enjoy the movie i mean it's a good it's a fun movie i enjoy it a great deal it was my first puppet master movie i will say that it was my very first puppet master movie because for the first year of full moon the local uh place johnny's tv in stillwater minnesota still in business to this day did not start carrying full moon movies until puppet master two. So I had to like, the only one I'd seen beforehand was shadow zone from something else. And so it'll always have a special part in my heart. I use the footage in an old cable access show, but it's a fun movie. It's not an essential movie, but I still would enjoy it. I, I still enjoy it. I still recommend it to anybody who loves exploitation films. It gets a thumbs up from me. Cool. Yeah. I think across the board, we can all agree. It's a fun movie. But in the grand scheme of things, not the best Puppet Master movie. So let's go ahead and move on to Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge, the prequel that we didn't know we needed. 
<laughs> that was made in 1991. The Nazis thought they held the world's strings. But Andre Toulon didn't need wires to make death move. Herr Toulon has developed a method of animating his puppets without string. It's as if they were alive. If Stein is even half right, this could be very important to my work. This is one of the puppets I was telling you about. No! Elsa! Take what you want, you bastards, and get out of here. That would be you, puppeteer. I'm serious. Put him in the second car. Take him to Gestapo headquarters. Oh, no. And put the toys in with the toy maker. Never knew a man played with dolls before. That too long was a skip your custody. We are very close to finding him. Nothing will stop me from seeking you out. And you will cry me mercy. And I will have none. What is this joke? <laughs> Find him. I don't care how many patrols it takes. Find him! best I can do for you now. But you can still revenge yourself. What is the secret? Nell! No mercy. You think I'm afraid of this? You will be afraid. Puppet Master 3 Toulon's Revenge Directed by Genre veteran Dave Dakota. Puppet Master 3 takes place in 1940, which contradicts continuity in part one, because part one, the first opening sequence of Toulon takes place in 1939. And this movie, oh, I even that. absolutely. And this movie, <laughs> supposedly, which takes place before that, takes place in 1940. So I guess just switch your brain off and don't really think about that too much when going into this. Um, this is the story of Andre Toulon and how he began his escape from the clutches of the Nazis leading up to the beginning of part one. After seeing one of his puppet shows where he makes fun of Hitler, Toulon makes fun of Hitler, and uh, talking to Toulon after the show, a low-level Nazi reports to his superior about how Toulon uh, is running this series of puppeteering shows at this theater and that he seemingly has a bunch of stringless puppets. Now, the Nazis are attempting to reanimate their soldiers in underground experiments for an army of the undead. They go to Toulon to try and learn his secrets because they're on they're under fire. They're on the cusp of learning what the secret is to bring these um, old dead zombie military officers back to life in some really dark and gruesome sequences, I thought, which was quite shocking for this series, which is pretty tame for the most part. But um, when they go there, Toulon's wife, Ilsa, accidentally gets shot. 
and uh, too long escapes their clutches and decides while he's hanging out underground to take his revenge on the Nazis with the help of his puppets. Now, <sighs> up to this point, we've we've lived in the in the present day, the quote unquote present day. This is firmly a period piece, a, a very low budget <laughs> Period piece. What makes you laugh so hard, Amanda? Period piece for the Puppet Master series. How is that not laughable? Okay, what what bothers you so much about this? It doesn't bother me. I just think it's funny. Why do we need a period piece at the Puppet Master series? Why do we need a prequel? (laughs) I just... That makes that that just doesn't make sense to me. It's just 1940s Berlin, for God's sakes. What? Well, that's what you want to do when you want to rebrew a franchise. I guess. <laughs> Dan, what did you think of this this tour of events? I, I have no i I really don't know where to begin. It is <laughs> it's the best puppet master movie. Um. And it, please, hold on. It, it's <laughs> Amanda just gave me a look like you wouldn't fucking what? believe. <laughs> now, I, now hold, hold, hold on. Listen to what? what, what? No. <laughs> it, it's the best movie because it's it's it was it's almost like it was made to be a movie. This movie actually has emotion and not just hey, man, I'm gonna kill me some fucking people in this motel. It wasn't, <laughs> It was Daniel. Please just talk like that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> it was an actual story, and it's a, it's almost like Schindler's List with killer puppets. It, <laughs> I've never heard it described as that. Like, needs to be on the poster I mean, so bad. It just, it, you can see, I get at least me, and I could kind of see where it was going. That's why I say it's the best of the puppet. It's obviously not my favorite, and pro- depending on you know what you're talking about. But as far as like. Let's just pretend this could have been up for an award from the Academy that this would have been the one to be considered because it was ambitious, but it's just it's got more emotion behind it. And again, it's like, why did we even need it? Well, I mean, fuck, I don't know. Why not? You know, I mean, I guess that should should be full moon logo. Why do we do the full moon? Why not? Yeah, I agree completely. It's it's a, I uh, I agree with you totally. This is my favorite of the first three films. Yeah, and, and it is for a lot of people that I've read and that I've heard is that this is their favorite. And I think it's just because of the mood. They, he actually found something. It's, it was, you know, you mentioned it before that that's what you do when you reboot a franchise. It's like they're rebooting it, so they're grounding it. Well, that's how you ground a story. You have to have some kind of anchor point, some emotion. So they just had to give Toulon some reason for being other than I'm killing me some fucking people, these puppets, you know, he's just had to be a little more believable with it. So we give him a love, you know, what better way to do it than a love story, but you know, it's Nazis. And then the other, just like a comic book, like your psychic fucking Ghostbusters and the White Witch and, you know, your crazy invisible man in this one. It's bring back zombie Nazi monsters. And what better way to do that than with somebody that brings zombie puppets, you know? So we just let's make a movie. Let's build some emotion around it and let's get that 
dude who's like really cool that's in all those other low budget movies and will make him the basis of Blade and then just bam there you go movie done oh uh, yeah th- I think you know you're referring to Richard Lynch who's Thank your you. prototypical bad guy that's in all of these movies he's awesome I think the acting is what really elevates this movie beyond um the, the ex- extremely low budget fare that it actually is. I think it, uh, Dave Dakota does a great job directing the hell out of this movie. Obviously he was struck with some major limitations. There's a lot of stock footage that becomes very apparent as it's reused over and over throughout this movie to try and give, you know, master shots of Ber- of a decrepit war torn Berlin that obviously doesn't exist in this world and he shot most of this he talked charles band into using uh universal backlots as a lot of the exterior scenes that he shot in a couple days and he does a great job but the the real shining force of this movie is the cast and with what they were given they do a hell of a job. I think Guy Rolf as Andre Toulon is charming and heartbreaking and tender at the same time. Uh, Richard Lynch, as we had said before, is your consummate creep and bad guy. Always does a great job. Sarah Douglas, who is a genre veteran, was also in the Superman films. She is very sympathetic as Ilsa. And of course, Michelle Bauer's boobs are as amazing as always. Uh, why she, why those two boobs didn't get, you know, top bill credit in this movie. I will have no fucking idea. Mark, what did you think of the acting in this one? Oh yeah. It's it, again, as I meant, I mentioned briefly, I, when watching this, you get to feel like, okay, what we tried to do with the first two films isn't quite catching people do like, the puppets but let's go a different direction and they took a serious approach to the film and it felt like it was rebooting you're you're recategorizing these puppets and and you know reinventing them to be the good guys because what better way to make them good guys than to have them kill fucking nazis (laughs) (laughs) how do you want anyone to be a good guy you send them after and kill nazis and you know and they do it well in the acting. Yeah, the acting sells you. I admit, Guy Rolf, you know, is reminding me of freaking Geppetto. Yeah, right. you know, he, he had such a Geppetto feel to him that you actually had no problems with him creating these puppets to go off Nazi. You, you know, in fact, you're encouraging it. You're like, yes, this is what they torched his puppet state. Yeah, go fucking kill him at the whorehouse. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I loved this cast. Everybody was into it. You know, Richard Lynch, the epitome of your B-movie villain, just playing it just the way you want that villain to be. Yeah, the performances in here really sell it. And uh, in this one is the first one I will say the characters felt as if they were given as much thought as the puppets were. Whereas in the first two, the puppets were given the more thought. But in this one, they actually get equal time. In fact, the people get a little bit more time for your emotion, emotional scenes. But yeah, I, I really dug it. And out of the first three, I will say, yes, this is my favorite as a movie in general. It, it, 
it had a great complete story emotion and really great performances by everyone yeah absolutely i think this would be a great way to start watching this series actually because i think continuity between this movie and one is pretty seamless I really think you could believe the Andre Toulon from part three is the Andre Toulon in part one. I really think that those two characters feel in line and that that's the same universe where part two does kind of feel like this departure. Scott, what do you think of this one? Oh, are you kidding? Of course, this is the best one. This might be the best one of all of them, for all I know. I haven't revisited the others yet, but I remember this being my favorite when I they first came out. And uh, I didn't even know, I, like you said in the original, when you started talking about this, the one that we didn't know we needed is like, wait, they're going back to World War II? Really? That seems odd. What about the hospital that i just talked about would have been a terrible idea but they make this great movie it's almost a horror film kind of but it's also a war movie it's also an adventure it's also espionage they have this amazing cast guy rolf was incredible uh amanda you were talking about dolls earlier he Mm. was the main uh guy in dolls of the Mm. old couple Mm. Uh, so they decided to bring him back. They had to get him. They had to snatch him. He had retired pretty much, and he was living on a farm in like the middle of Spain. And they had to FedEx the script. It took three months, three weeks to get there. They snatched him for this movie. They got all these amazing people, including all the people you mentioned. Also, Ian Abercrombie, Walter Gattel, and in a non-speaking role, Conrad Brooks. Yes. Uh, and they got all these amazing people. They gave you uh, origin stories for two of the puppets, although one of them I was kind of like startled by. And it's just a really entertaining film. It's so creative. It's just an amazingly well done film. It's got so much emotion behind it. Uh, and David Dakota, this guy, man, if you love genre films, if you love exploitation cinema, this guy has done so much. You know, he can do as many films as he wants with male underwear models walking around a house as he wants to. He's earned it at this point, as far as I'm concerned. This guy started out with Charlie Van back in the 80s, and he made some great horror films, some great action films, and some of the best jiggle films ever. Uh, you know, and then in the mid-90s. You know, decide to say, you know, by the way, guys, in case you haven't noticed, I'm gay. So I'm going to take the uh, aesthetics of a lot of the films that I had started all these years before, and I'm going to add homoeroticism to them. And he did it, which is a market that was really underserved by it, you know, and I'm sure uh, a lot there was there was a great audience that was eager to get it. This guy has done so much, and he this might be one of his best movies. I have to agree with you. I might think, and this might be shocking, this might be his best film. It might be. You know, it's really uh, – watching it again, and as I mentioned, I was watching it on the Blu-rays, and Full Moon's released some Blu-rays where I'm like, yeah, big deal. Uh, but I'm still happy to have them because I'm a Full Moon junkie. I love the movies. These movies look incredible. <laughs> I mean, I was really blown away, like watching them for the first time in this, you know, high def, you know, widescreen. Like, holy cow, this, you know, I know it was done for like 800,000 bucks, 
but it looks really good, <laughs> you know? And these are just like beautifully put together films. And you can tell that Full Moon was really aiming for something greater than the competition. And they had carved out their own niche in the market because of it. Well, you can also tell that they were obviously making some bread on the movies. Oh, yeah. Well, well, Paramount was very happy. They just said, you know, whenever they did a movie, they said – Puppet Master did well. Oh, we need Puppet Master 2. You got to kill Ms. Leach, but we need Puppet Master 2. Puppet, Ma- Puppet Master 2 did even better than Puppet Master 1. They said, we need Puppet Master 3, and we need it right now. And Charles Band said, okay. Uh, he turns to he turns to uh, David Dakota. He says, get C, Co- get C. Courtney Joyner to write it, who hadn't written for the studio yet, I don't think. He says, make a movie only only thing is that ignore the, the second movie. It has to take place in World War II. And who did that at that time? Who, who took their prize winning, you know, their their prize winning uh, property and said, and now we're going to set it in World War II. And no one was making World War II movies at that point. Right. Well, th- and from a budget standpoint, that's a risky move mm-hmm. to attempt to do a period piece on I'm I'm guessing this was a fairly low budget. I mean, in the grand 000. scheme of things, yeah. eight hundred thousand. I think the most expensive, which I think is probably the most expensive of the series. But let's be honest, it's not saying much. According to Wikipedia, the first one was four hundred thousand, and this one was eight hundred thousand. That is, that's pretty shocking. But man, they used that. That money is all up there on the screen now we as we had talked about before each of these movies brings about a new puppet into the fold and introduces us to a new one and this one we have a puppet named six shooter who is a six-armed cowboy with real little guns and uh this puppet in particular took teams of people to bring to life and honestly to this point is the most sophisticated looking thing that we've seen in this series so far. Seth, what did you think of Six Shooter? Six Shooter is the best puppet in this entire series. Uh, wow. I love, his, I love his diabolical little attitude, his little laugh. That <laughs> yeah, he's got the Renfield laugh for yeah, sure. Yeah, just I love Six Shooter. Uh, shooting at the little Hitler marionette uh, in the beginning making him dance. Uh, he's, he's, he kind of represents the whole movie for me. It looks like a million bucks. He, his artistry and movement looks fantastic. All of the shortcomings of this film were hated really well so that it just looks bigger and feels bigger and better than the budget would have allowed. Yeah. It's really the only thing that really screams low budget in this film besides the, the, continual use of certain stock footage is the fact they didn't have a lot of extras for some of these scenes. Like you never see more than three or four other Nazi (laughs) army members on screen at a time. Mm. And in the background, some of these cities look pretty sparse. Like there isn't really a (laughs) lot of action going on. So that kind of gives away what the budget of this movie I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My favorite part also for a budget standpoint, just to real quickly say, is that they use this shot of like a slow motion shot of these vehicles coming out of the Berlin fog, like a uh, like a car and then a truck and all this stuff coming out of the fog at night. And if you were really watching it, you kind of giggle because you can just picture 
them shooting it all at one seat at one time, even though it happens at different points in the movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So saying, now the Jeep. Now the motorcycle. Well, <laughs> because you can totally picture that happening. Well, because you know how Dave Dakota works. So more than likely he did shoot it in that way. Oh, and of course. It, anytime you see an overuse of fog in films, you know it's to cover something up. So um, that's another indication of a low-budget film is that there's a heavy use of fog <laughs> to create atmosphere. But beyond that, this film is great. They really do a great job with a lot of stuff. The only actor I didn't think brought that brought it was the Peter character, which was this boy character. He just felt... While the rest of the actors felt genuine, he felt a little forced in in this one. But otherwise, I, I really dug that. And one more minor quibble. We find out the origin stories of uh, a couple of these puppets. We find out that Blade is the German doctor um, who's trying to help out Toulon, put an end to Richard Lynch. And uh, Blade is in the, the image of Richard Lynch. So going forward, that gives a little gravitas to that character. Um, Leech Woman is Ilsa after she's killed and brought back to life. And Amanda's shaking her head because she detests Leech Woman so much. But the, the thing that bothered me the most was we get an explanation as to how Toulon brings the puppets back to life and uh, sustains animation. And it's the human spirit. <laughs> so he claims because it changes and, and later. Oh, of course it changes because that's the dumbest fucking thing on earth. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Man. fucking cheeseball. Angelique, what'd you think of the, the fact that these puppets, these murderous puppets sustain life because of the human spirit? Eh. I like <laughs> Egyptian magic better. Amen. I agree. I agree. And of course, Master uh, Schlockmeister Dave Dakota uses, you know, previous footage for, of the Egyptian flashback again in this film. Luckily, he cuts out uh, the poor, well, the last <laughs> Toulon out of it. So it works within this framework. But uh, as a first viewing, Angelique, what would you think of the fact that they went back in time for this one? Well, I mean, it was kind of cool because we got just a tiny taste of this mystical stuff in, in the first one. And then, of course, you know, Toulon offs himself because of Nazis, you know, but now getting to see that, okay, the, these puppets were hell-bent on revenge to eliminate some Nazi scum, you know, that was, that's say okay with me. <laughs> but, uh, prequels, eh. But, uh, you know, like you said, the origin story of, of Blade, I really thought it was going to be uh, Mr. Head Bad Guy. But right. then I was like, well, how would how would they control him like that if he's this bad, nasty, evil guy? That doesn't make sense. But then, you know, the doctor. OK, I get it now. Right now he's Blade. Now he's a doctor. Now he can cut on people. That's great. Um, it was OK. You know, I'm just I'm not a prequel kind of gal. Uh, I, I could only wish that the Star Wars prequel movies would be half as good <laughs> as Puppet <laughs> Master 3. <laughs> It's, it's, it's <laughs> fun. oh, amazing. I wish they would have gone that route. Glenn, what did you think of this one? This is my favorite of, of, of the nine that I've seen. The only thing I would change is I would have Torch from number two 
time travel back to 1940 Berlin and burn that fucking kid. <laughs> yeah. Peter. Oh, my big God, Peter. Oh, shit. Aside from him, I love everything about it. And, yeah, Six Shooters, awesome. And it has one of my, what I think is one of the best villain deaths ever. I love I love the final yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty it's pretty brutal, man. It is, and it's great. Absolutely iconic. Um before we go into final thoughts, I just wanna just wanna make note of one of my favorite sequences that comes out of the blue much uh much like the uh it's just my hemorrhoids line of uh witchcraft five or six i forget which one it is um there's a sequence in which a german soldier's car is pulled over and he's checking in the in the hood and he's complaining about his superior and uh he he wipes some grease and puts a a hitler mustache on his face (laughs) and and exclaims have your car ready have yourself ready. Have your asshole ready. Yep. <laughs> that's that. That's, that's there's got to be that, that. That came out of nowhere and made us both giggle. Yeah. quite a I bit. I did a double take and I said, "Did he just make a grease Hitler stash?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe Dave Dakota shining through a little bit on that one. He's used to he's used to not being so serious with his movies. So I, I like to think that that was Dave Dakota having a little fun with this one. But uh, let's go ahead and let's round out this episode with our final thoughts on Puppet Master Three. Amanda, what do you ultimately think? Thumbs up, thumbs down about this prequel? I would give it a thumbs up. I that is surprising. I don't think any of these movies are bad. They're just probably not something that I, I'm glad I saw them, but it's not something that I would probably go watch, like go back to. If anything, I would probably go back to the first one and watch that again. Cause it was so weird that I liked it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of so all over the place. I liked it. It was confusing, but I liked it. But um, Glenn, I have to say, I would hope that torch would come back and, um, burn up Peter's prick dad who turns over Toulon for 10,000 marks. What a prick. That's a lot of money. What did you do that for? He's your friend. It's a lot of money. I know it's a lot of money. At any rate, it, I wasn't, think, it wasn't for the money, it was for his wife. I know, so he could get back with mama. That's what he said to Peter. Yeah. We have to do what we need to do to get back to mama. And then just get promptly shot in the gut. And then promptly get shot, yeah, shot in the gut. Yeah. Uh, but I was just taken back initially, like like I said before, I guess I just didn't understand the need to to have a period, <laughs> to have a period piece. I don't know. It has the best production value out of all of them. Which is shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Without any, well, if you're going to do a period piece, you can't really cheap out on it or it becomes really obvious really quickly. Which you'll find out in latter period piece puppet (laughs) puppet master films. Oh, is that so you're prepping? Also directed by Dave Dakota. Okay. So you're prepping me for that. I hope your asshole's ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You're asshole already. laughs> but no, I thought it was interesting. I didn't mind it. I give it a thumbs up. I think it's worth watching. It was interesting to see how the puppet master came about. Though he doesn't look like he's aged at all. He appears to be the same age in every single scene. Yeah. Throughout all the movies. But 
Well, well he's supposed to be yeah. old. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, Seth. Uh, my favorite Puppet Master movie. My favorite of the top three. I think it's the best one as well. The production values are there. The human element is brought uh, for the first time. Like everyone has said, the emotion is brought. Two big thumbs up. I love this one. Cool. Glad. Huge, huge direct voters up on this one. And just fantastic, man. Definitely, definitely the best one. Cool. Angelique. I mean, to echo everyone's sentiments, you know, well, not everyone, but it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. I give it a thumbs up. You know, it it works with the series. Cool. Mark. Yeah, when I approached it as a reboot, I enjoyed it even more because it threw me off with the continuity of it being in the 40s and the first one starting at 39. I'm like, uh huh. But um, it's the most solid film it, of, of these three. It is probably my favorite as well. It feels like a, a real film, uh, even all the way up through the ending of this movie. Uh, you, you don't get a horror ending, you get a movie ending if that makes sense for it for the way the story progressed and the arc and everything about it everybody puts in a great performance yeah six shooter is awesome but the other puppets as well are really cool and it really felt like they were like we tried with the first two films didn't quite work this is the direction we're going to take with the rest of the series uh and it really felt like a reboot more so than a prequel like okay this is what our puppets actually are. And by doing that, you know, this film, even for a prequel, then still doesn't quite fit the characteristics for the puppets of the other two films. So the other two films almost are by themselves. And this one is like the start of the next, you know, the kind of the reboot, the refresh, the here is what our characters are. They're more comic book good guys than your killer slasher bad guys. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. I I still, I firmly believe this and part one live in the same world. Mm -hmm. I I don't think you could find very much that um, would contradict other than obviously the obvious date. (laughs) (laughs) When the beginning of part one starts and the beginning of this does. But other than that, I really think they work well in tandem. And if you watch this one leading into part one, I think they work very well together. Dan. Well, I mean, like I said before, it is the best movie. It's not a, it's the best movie of the series. It's not a horror movie. It's just, it's all emotional. I mean, certain little nitpicky things I didn't like. One main thing is like, stop damn explaining everything. The human spirit. Well, holy fuck. Let's just go. What the fuck ever is no, I could do without all of that. Egyptian magic is cool. That shit's awesome. I mean, you know, death metal bands' entire careers have been based on this formula. Why can't we keep the puppet master the same way? So there was no need to explain that because I I kind of didn't like some of it. Okay, like Jester, you can give me that one. That's cool. I can explain Jester doesn't do does fuck all anyway. Bleach, okay. Why Elsa has to regurgitate leeches or something, you know, the love of my life, my beautiful wife. I make you a puppet and you will puke leeches. <laughs> 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 
fucking stupid. But other than that, it was the best movie. The ending sequence was fucking awesome. It was horrific. And that was just showing the character of Tulane. If we do tie this in with the first one, as you like to say, Derek, it actually does kind of, I mean, that right there, there's your tipping point. There is the point you've led up into this prequel movie. How the hell does Tulane end up being what he is in the first movie. Well, there you go. <laughs> it didn't you you have seen the dominoes of it and it leads up to it ultimately. I mean, if you didn't watch any of them, watch this one. But having watched the first two, you have to watch this one. <laughs> it's almost like the redemptive quality of it, other than explaining things. But yeah, it's a reboot. We start fresh and you can almost hear, you know, clapping hands. It's like, okay, we've started. We're next. And there's their new tagline, full moon. Why not? Yep. <laughs> and don't get your hopes up too high after this one. Uh, Scott, what's your thoughts on uh, part three? I've babbled enough about this movie. Uh, I will say that they probably the human spirit thing is corny as hell. Absolutely. And I don't mind that they contradicted that later on because they're, let's face it, these movies' continuity is for shit. <laughs> but uh, they try their damnedest, though. They, don't they, they? they kind of started to, and then they just said, eh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it is, but it does play into the whole uh, World War II uh, keep them fighting kind of like spirit of the of the old war of the old world war ii movies where they were actually released right around like or during world war ii and kind of were supposed to be raw raw movies i can see that i'll say it just real quick because i've already like i said i've babbled way too much already on this episode but uh it's the best it's the best you know the other ones are thumbs up this one is thumbs way up it really seemed like they kind of went to another level with this movie. Totally recommended. Awesome. Yeah, I I firmly agree. This is probably my favorite Puppet Master movie. It's uh, oddly, as I said before, the prequel we didn't know we needed. And I think it really enriches the rest of the movies going forward, even though, as Scott said, the movies going forward don't really give a fuck <laughs> about anything they had built in in this film. But uh, that's it for this episode, folks. So coming next month, we'll be doing uh, Puppet Masters four through six. Hell Amanda yeah. can't wait. She's so, we already watched four and five. We we've already watched six. We just now. have to watch Curse of the Puppet Master. You oh, know, the, trust trust me, honey. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to have our cards laid all on the table. And the funny thing is, in researching this, if you go and you want to find out what the actual continuity is of this series, go to the Wikipedia page of the Puppet Master series, and instead of listing these in order, they list them in chronological order as per what the, the legitimate the uh, chrono, uh, chronology is of the huh. series, of like what time it takes place within the series. So if you want to watch these in the order they're supposed to be, or they're supposed to take place in, just go to the Wikipedia page and they really lay it out there. Oh. Whether or not I would recommend you watching it in that order is another matter altogether. So we'll we'll leave it there. So let's uh, go ahead and go down the line and move on to the 
the part of the show where we shamelessly shield the ever-loving fuck out of you, Angelique Bone. Well, you can find me on Facebook, Angelique Bone. I'm not that hard to find. Um, you can also find me uh, on one of our Astro Radio Z family shows, the Film Jerks, um, coming up this month. Can't remember what we're doing. Cyber circuitry man. Circuitry man. Thank you. Um, and you can also find us uh, some writing by myself and some pretty cool cats on thelosthighway.com. Awesome, Seth. Uh, you can find me at Celluloid Terror on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube for all sorts of horror and exploitation reviews and rants. Glenn. You can find me on Facebook, on YouTube, and on my website, All Guy in a Bunker. And just follow me on Twitter, at Guy in a Bunker. Hopefully next month, Glenn, you'll have your voice back. I'm going to send you some cough drops. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> this will this, this, last most of January for me. Oh. Well, good. Next month, you'll be back with a vengeance to talk <laughs> gleefully about Curse of Puppet Master. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Scott. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm really, I, I've taken most of, took most of 2016 off, hoping to, you know, really ramp it up in 2017. We'll see how that goes since that's also going to coincide with a move for me. But uh, you can find me at movieocrity.com. Uh, and you can also catch my web series, Movieocrity, on Vimeo.com slash channels slash Movieocrity. They're on YouTube as well, but not all of them because YouTube sucks that way. Daniel? You can hear for more of the wonderful dulcet tones of Daniel. Now you can hear uh, Derek and you can hear Angelique and her lovely voice. And Derek's too, because that was really fucking creepy to Night.com. We released a new album this past October, as per usual, called X Tenebrous. Go to nightkeep.com, check it out. We make horror music. I mean, that's pretty much what we do. Horror music, audio dramas, really some badass shit. Dude, when I find we when you initially asked me to do some voice work for that, I I was jacked and but I wasn't as jacked until I finally heard that record and listened to the whole thing. That thing is fucking awesome. It cool. is. Thank you. But I mean, once I, I say it over and over, if you dig the music, oh, and if I could show this real quick, you can actually hear one of the songs on the new Fangoria album, The Horde Volume 2. But um, anyway, this, the audio parts, audio drama is only, you guys are in the. <laughs> as your actors. If the acting sucks, then it's just totally not believable. So it's, it, if the music sounds great, that's awesome. I love it. But no, thank you guys. That's seriously just check it out. Go to Nike.com. Listen to X Tenebris. It's our love letter to Doom Aliens and Event Horizon. All right. Last but not least, Mr. Mark the Movie Man. Specialmarkproductions.com is where you can find all uh, my stuff at a spoiler room where uh, Derek was kind enough to uh, bring his sweet pipes for our best of worst of 2016, as well as, uh, you know, uh, some other fine folks. And uh, yeah, I do movie reviews as well. And hopefully a few more video projects uh, this year, rather than just doing reviews, will be showing up there. And uh, yeah, that's, that's about all I got. Cool. 
I want to say before we we end this episode, I want to one thank all of you guys for sticking with me. This is the fifth year of Astro Radio Z. I never once thought that I would be doing a podcast for this long. And I also want to thank all of the listeners out there who have stuck around with me and made 2016 the biggest year of Astro Radio Z yet. Thank you for contacting me, reaching out to me. All the great things you guys have been saying inspires me to continue talking endlessly about films that most people don't give a fuck about. And and, and you guys are way too kind about your love for the show. So thank you. I'm hoping that 2017 is the biggest year yet. I'm not going to be doing a weekly show this year. I'm going to be doing a bi-weekly show. But when the inspiration hits me, I'll be releasing episodes willy-nilly whenever I can. But you can rest assured I'll be doing a bi-weekly show this year. So every two weeks, look for a new show to drop along with Film Jerks and Stillborn Goat Heavy Metal Podcast is on its way. So from all of us here, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, YouTube, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Next time.